You're listening to episode 211 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. You know what, guys? Uh, I think Marco's pretty sus. I think we got to throw him overboard here. You, think, you know who's pretty I sus? Think Hold we've on, got no, can't a wait. regular imposter no, 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 amongst no, 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 us. No, 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 no. You know what was frustrating is... Building up for like an hour and a half, getting really hyped, really excited, just for some, uh, what's the word, shithead to be like, oh, you know what, Marco's sus, orange is sus, kick orange out. I was like, bro, what the fuck did I even do? I was sitting here, and people believe him. Hey, Last Marco, night, quickly. In our Discord, go ahead. Uh, uh, would you hit Command W and just, um, we just need you to verify who you are real That's quick. Right. Command W. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the scanner, bro. Last Did he just night, land in for you either, Sean, or... Hold on, I'm nope. about to explain. I'm about to explain. <laughs> Last night, in our Discord and on Twitch, we played Among Us for the first time. Uh, Sean and Pete weren't there. For an hour and a half, Marco kept saying he wanted to play as the imposter in the popular game Among Us. And with no like evidence... In the very first of our uh, first round of our last game, I convinced everyone that Marco was the imposter. You know, I didn't know if he was or not. I just wanted to have him thrown overboard. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out he was. And it worked. The entire time, Marco kept saying he's so good as the imposter in Among Us. And frankly, we'll never know if that's true because <laughs> I ruined his game. You just staged a case. <laughs> it was the best. Cry! I was crying, laughing. <laughs> terrible. I I was so suspicious too. I was just like, oh yeah, orange. That was his color. He's the imposter. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If he's not, throw me overboard. <laughs> <laughs> These are the kinds of of hijinks that you're missing out on when you don't tune into our streams. So you must make time for it. Go give us a follow. Twitch.tv/slash/thecomicspals. Even. Even if you didn't know about it, I didn't know it was going to happen until it happened, and I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> be ready. It's a surprise. That's right. It could happen at any moment. It could be you thrown overboard for no reason. So, uh, it's, been a, it's been a long week. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening in America, we've got, a, we've got an election going on, and uh, I'm thinking it might drag out as long as it took for us to get the New Mutants movie. Oh, God, don't fucking say that. It's <laughs> a timely reference. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's been a while. But, hey. It's been a while. One thing you can always count on, on time, is this podcast. And we thank you for joining us. We thank you for tuning in. All five of us are here, which is, you know, Disappointing. irregular. Oh, uh, we went from just Kale and I last week to the whole band. I'm going to say, it is crowded in here today. I was enjoying the stretching room last week. Uh, we had an hour-long discussion about tokusatsu. That went great. See, I mean, <laughs> I, I got a message from Sean right after the show. He's like, you can't leave me alone with Kale ever again, please. Well, that, listen, that we expected. That's weird. I got a different message from Sean that said, please don't come back again. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, you know, this isn't the political pals, but I just got uh, on CNN.com. They're Joe giving the election to Biden. Yeah. Joe What's Biden up? Won. Live oh, really? on the air, baby. Live on the Boom. air. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I got wow. the same notification. Wilson Fisk outed. 
I can't believe uh, seeing how uh, Lazy Joe, or Sleepy Joe, that's what he called. Wilson Fist has been calling him Sleepy Joe. He beat him. That's crazy. Oh, man. That's, that is... Congratulations. Congratulations. Thanks. Oh. America. <laughs> People are cheering outside. Yeah. Wait, really? <laughs> Dude, Joe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're the cans pan. right now. Yeah. Yeah, People was... have been taking the streets in Philly celebrating like crazy. Yeah. It's like the end of uh, Return of the Jedi where everyone's celebrating the death of the Emperor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow, this is pretty cool. Um, Wild. Feels good, man. <laughs> it's feels it's funny because Kale's lived in England a bunch, and they failed to oust their Trump. So, you know, America wins again, you know. Of course. So yeah. who's the who's the canonical president now for the comics pals who's the comic joe biden <sighs> that's a question mm, yeah. <laughs> all right so if kingpin just was defeated then who would have defeated him does it have to be marvel well no he was our president oh the I, other... I see what you mean uh yeah no, i guess not nah, comic books i yeah. think i hear people like banging pans yeah. in the yeah. background <laughs> yeah, yeah, window, yeah. yeah yeah me too right now yeah hell yeah the other the other thing too is are we talking about who defeated him or are we talking about who's stepping up in his place i, I would say who's stepping up in his place because i i had an idea for jake garrick jake oh jake garrick is good marco i like that He's an old man. Yeah. Not as quick in his feet anymore. That's right. Sometimes <laughs> I, where he forgets where he is. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was going to say Alan Scott, and there's a parallax joke in yep. there somewhere, but... <laughs> oh, yeah. There sure isn't. There sure isn't. There is not. Nope. Alan Scott that was definitely never, never completely wrong. <laughs> So, um, I kind of. Oh, hang I, on. Let me. Let me. Let me. Pete, I'm gonna. I'm gonna humor you. Let here, me open me, the box. Me, let me, me see. Yeah. Yeah. No, this this motherfucker's empty. Oh, good. Great. Hmm. All right. Uh. So killed that joke. I like Ted Grant, uh, Wildcat, because Joe always oh. like feels like he's an old man mm. ready to punch someone. This is a bunch of malarkey. <laughs> uh, Ted Grant is bad. the. Uh, Wildcat from Ooh, Justice Society. I got it. Ma Hunkle, the original Red Tornado. No, got the got the pot on her head and everything. Not 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 loving it. So let me <laughs> let me uh, let you guys know where you can find us all over the web before we continue with the bad jokes. Uh, <laughs> of course, we're the Comics Pals. You type that into your Google machine, and uh, inevitably you will find us. On social media, we are the Comics Pals, so you can come chat with us. You can uh, ask us for a follow, uh, and we'll, we'll follow you back, maybe. Um, you can <laughs> write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. That's with an S, comics with an S, pals. Uh, and of course, if you are on YouTube right now, thank you for watching you can leave us a like, drop us a comment, share this video with your friends, and of course, subscribe to our channel. All of those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Marco, it's outside my window. No, no, no. I, it's um, right here, too. You, too? Oh, man. Yeah. It's, it's wild. Um, I feel like I'm missing out on something, but I know I'm right? not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bro, Jay Garrick is president, the fastest president you've ever not seen. <laughs> okay. That's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, that, was, that was decent. I like it. 
Uh, so, of course, of course, you should join our Discord. We always have lots of fun conversations going on over there. Uh, this week, the conversation that I remember the most uh, was we were talking about the state of, of Marvel and DC and how, you know, some of us are a little sour on the events that they're delivering these days. And we're going to be talking about DC today. We're going to be talking about DC in depth because uh, they have allegedly they are going down a very, very interesting road with their publishing line. So you're going to want to stick around and hear us talk about that. And then, of course, we're going to be reviewing the X content of the week, X-Men number 14 and Marauders number 14. So lots of cool stuff to jump into this week on the podcast. Just missing another X. Yeah, I read the wrong oh. X content. <laughs> that's that's great. Um, <laughs> now, I always always can count on you to do your due diligence, Phil. In in the spirit of what we have now learned that uh, Joe Biden has won the election. Jay Garrick. Hey, uh, Jay Garrick, Joe Biden. What's the difference? Um. Someone should update Joe's Twitter, by the way. It still does not say president. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I mean, if I became, if I just became the president of the United States, Boop. my shit would be updated <laughs> instantaneously. That's the first second I would I would go on. Once CNN said I was the president, oh, got to update Twitter. Um, <laughs> he hasn't come out to say he's president yet. He hasn't declared victory. He probably <laughs> like doesn't our- know. He's taking a nap. President uh, <laughs> President Trump, first night of votes, he came out and he was like, that eh, basically won. <laughs> <laughs> My man said, uh, we were on track to win this election. We did win this election. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> I, I love it. And then he said, we want all voting to stop. That's right. Like, all right. <laughs> it it, it did. <laughs> Mom, Dude, that's but- a playground rules. No, you're not supposed to tag me. That's not the rules. Like, you make up the rules as you go along, kind of, you know, in the game, so you keep winning. Well, my favorite was when he was like, we need to stop counting when he was behind. It's like, okay, fine. <laughs> well, he, he wanted them to stop counting and just, just tally up all what was already in. Had they done that at that time, he would have won. There was at one point where he said it where he was behind in both the electoral and the popular vote, though, where he was still but, pushing for it. I think that, yeah, I think that was a little bit later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you should but, count all the real ballots. That was the, uh, Later, that's what it became. In all any the event. legal ballots. That's right, legal ballots. Did you guys see the Avengers Endgame <laughs> election version? <laughs> I saw that's that right. this morning. Yeah. You did? No. You didn't? All right, well... I'm actually going to uh, play it for you guys. I oh, let's think go! It's appropriate. <laughs> um, and and believe it or not, I actually found this video to be uh, sort of um, like almost kind of emotional a little bit. Like it was it was pretty uh, it was pretty interesting. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put that up for you guys now for those of you who are watching on YouTube. Oh God. Wait, wait, pause it real quick. Oh, okay. oh, this is... I already hate this. Oh, God. I'm about this. All right, give me one second. I saw a this. Star Wars related one, not not this. Shit, is I Joe, B- is Joe Biden old cap? Yes. 
Well, like, not not yes. old Cap. He's he is Cap. He's Cap. Yeah. He, no, I mean like, like like he is yes, but oh. <laughs> here he's yeah. Captain America. Okay. Instead of yeah. instead of uh, Jay Garrick, you know, is he? That's old yeah. Cap? That's not bad. That's that's not bad. I like that. Put in your vote for old Cap. <laughs> no, I don't think I will. You better <laughs> you get the fucking orange skull again. All right, here we go. The orange skull. Look at that swagger. <laughs> <laughs> so Trump Jeez. is Thanos. Got those purse lips. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can hear it. No, no, not at all. No, you can't. Turn it up. Um, there should be an option to share the sound as well. Oh, well, geez. Um, Trump's got... I don't see that throat. option. Everybody's going to see how the soup gets made. <laughs> it's just... It, look at this. Georgia's... Oh, no, <laughs> yeah. I love it. Hell yeah. Right. Why isn't Stacey Abrams the Black Panther? Oh, that's, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Real time reaction there. Damn. <laughs> I didn't know Obama's from Georgia. Oh, man. He's not, but he's black. So, you know. <laughs> well, he's definitely definitely not from America. We all know that. That's right. Oh, my God. That's right. You guys can't hear it, but when they showed Trump right there, he said, we want all voting to stop. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. That, that weirdly makes sense. Beto oh, is boy. fucking Chris Pratt. Oh, my God. I love it. I don't know who that is, actually. <laughs> that was uh, Mayor Pete. What All votes Trump? matter. Mayor, yeah. Mayor Peter Parker. <laughs> What's wild oh, is so that's, funny. you know what? I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not crazy about the Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, don't show yeah, yeah. Go screw. <laughs> I love all of the Trump faces, frankly. <laughs> Hunter fucking Biden, dude. Oh. Who's that? <laughs> I didn't clock that. Greta Thunberg. Oh. <laughs> First Mr. Yang Gang himself. Damn. Oh. Hell yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. From the grave. Wow. Why is Sean Connery? <laughs> my man doesn't my man like Trump, I think. Oh man. He's saying no one's gonna take our democracy from us. <laughs> Cory Booker looking oh my little. God. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's good. That is uh, too good. good right? Needed more Absolutely of the Trump wild. kids. Very fun. Very fun. Um, as the party continues, I just hear people screaming in the background. What's, yeah. what's crazy is while we were watching this, there were certain parts that you could hear the people in the background of Sean and Marco's yeah. audio, and it worked in time with the video. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's fun. That's it's, good it's stuff. Funny. Man. The conservative person said to me, I can't believe so many people like Joe Biden. I was like, nah, dog, you don't understand. Everyone hates Trump. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes Joe Biden. <laughs> That is indeed true. Um, you showed your camera's off. It's all oh, my camera's off. I don't know why that happened. Maybe because he back. stopped sharing the screen. There we He's go. back. There we go. Eric no Fischoff, one will baby. take our democracy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Congrats, Joe. All right, let's jump into the palace polls. Um, so first up from Kale, we've got Power Rangers number one. So what I didn't know last week was that there 
splitting the release week for these uh powering this new era of power rangers titles last week was mighty morphin and you know what it was actually pretty good i bought it this week uh it seems like the uh uh they're gonna explore zordon's background uh on eltar and um how that relates to the power rangers and stuff and it's actually not bad who wrote that ryan perot oh that guy ryan parrot however you say his name uh but this week i'm talking about power rangers uh which is the it's it follows the omega rangers which is jason trini and zach after they uh uh separated from the the original team um and they they are i i I don't know what the hell they're doing but (laughs) they uh apparently have some kind of tie-in with uh draken in this series and they have to go directly against zordon's wishes and they have to team up with draken i don't know about that i (laughs) i'm very cautious about this because sean and i talked about it last week the the uh battle for the grid is actually kind of what took us away from the power rangers uh titles and often i find that with the this era of power rangers they use tommy like dc uses batman and now it's just gonna be oh what if tommy was evil and now he's just gonna kind of flip-flop as whoever needs whatever but those Omega Ranger suits are cool as hell. I gotta see them. I haven't seen them. Uh, you want me to share my screen? I'll show them to you. You gotta be made the... Uh, I'm on it. I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This yeah. show's all high def and shit now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now the real question is how long does it take Kale to figure out how to share? Oh, never mind. Oh, Two seconds, grandpa. you dumb bitch. didn't even get through. Wow, <laughs> look at you, Grandpa. Oh, wow. Those actually Those are the cool. sick. I like right? the cool cat thing in the background. Yeah, I don't know anything wow. about that, but. Those are really cool, dude. That is a dope cover. Oh, yeah. my God. And Trini has a giant. Yeah, like dog. hammer. That is amazing. Yeah, dog. I bet it makes more sense than Carol Danvers getting a giant hammer and uh, uh, <laughs> empire. <secret> empire. Yeah. <laughs> You're probably right. So anyway, very cool. There you go. I like it. Uh so Pete and I both chose Marauders. You know, assortment of X books. There's three books coming out next week, actually. Um, from the X-Men line. So, you know, we're just generally excited. Marauders, Excalibur, and Wolverine. Yeah, well, you know, obviously we'll talk more about that in the main topic when we get into the the X-Books reviews right now. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean... almost made Wolverine my pick, and then I saw that it was Jerry Duggan and Ben Percy, and I went, okay, no thanks. Uh, <laughs> let, not let for Ben me. Percy do his thing. I, I think uh, I think that's a that's a solid team. I you know I don't need Jerry Duggan, frankly. Yeah. All right, <clears throat> I think <laughs> it's probably difficult to keep up with this with this event from a from a writing perspective. They're probably just lending each other a helping hand. Um, it could real be. quick, yeah. I, I got to disrupt this for a second. So I have a I have a data miner thing for my job as a journalist, and it said. 
the data miner says Fox News reportedly discussing Sharpies instead of declarations of Joe Biden Jesus. winning the election. <laughs> what? <laughs> they were discussing Sharpies instead. That makes sense. Wow, rude. Uh, you know, they they just need some time to really like they, you know, they need some space to work through all those feelings that they're having right now, you know? Mm-hmm. Sharpies though. <laughs> so Marco. Sup. You you picked up like I did, blue and green. I did uh, a couple weeks back, and you had the opportunity to finish that. How was it? It was it was good. Um I think I don't know that it was anything stand out from like a narrative perspective. Mm-hmm. I think there were some interesting um, noir influences in there. There was a lot of really abstract sort of um, uh, concepts in the book as well. Uh, I, I enjoyed it for, for the for the art and the I think Ram V's storytelling has been something that I've been trying to get a little more accustomed to because I know he's going to start take going to put out like some um new swamp thing stories as part of the future state so like, i've been just trying to figure out like what he's uh, what his deal is you know how he sort of executes his stuff um it was good it was good i n- nothing super like crazy stand out but um what i read was was fun was the art worth the price of admission i was a little mixed on the art oh. um i think i think it was Definitely, if you like a watercolor, almost um, like sketched design, I think it's definitely there for you. I I definitely enjoy watercolors, but there's something about a sketch um, that it doesn't feel so complete that I sometimes feel a certain way about and um, I don't always enjoy. The watercolor sort of helped augment that piece of it so i wasn't like totally down on it but um yeah if if you're good with watercolor if you're good with sort of sketched almost incomplete art in some moments but like fuller in others i think i think it works out awesome um yeah i i know that you were really excited about this book um i was i was kind of excited too when we when we talked about it on the show Mm -hmm. a few months ago so I'm, i'm interested in diving into it but um, I expected you to be more high on it, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely, if you get a chance to read it, would definitely like love to hear your thoughts on it. But um, I mean, it. Uh, I think, I think the preview images that we saw got me a little more excited, and maybe I went in with that. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you said. I'm sorry, guys, if you can hear all this madness it's outside. Yo, like, uh, people are I was gonna so say, excited about our yeah. pals polls. Uh, New York City is on fire. <laughs> Thanks, all. So, the other thing I wanted to, to quickly mention was uh, Phil is coming into some cash. And he needs... <laughs> Finally he needs, sold all that semen, huh? <laughs> very, all of it. very high demand, yes. Wow. That's true. Wow. Um, I could see that. I, Phil, of all of us on the show, I could see Phil being the one who women ask for that, that they want that from him to like That's use right. it to have children. That's right. You're, you're right. And I've never understood that. He's got this weird, it's like, it's an animal magnetism. He does. He really does. I don't know what it is. Phil, I mean, he bats him away sometimes. Just It's wild. I get ridicule on this podcast sometimes for it. Rightly so. <laughs> Marco, you're just a thirsty bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Phil's, Phil's coming into some money. He needs to buy an absolute edition. That's right. Obviously, of a DC of a DC work. So not an omnibus. Don't don't recommend you know Batgirl of Burnside uh, omnibus. He Is needs an absolute. Out? That's right. What's that, Gil? Is that coming out? I'm just kidding. Um, they do have Gail Simone's Batgirl from the New 52, and I want that. Um, yeah. So <laughs> I uh, I missed the show last week. Uh, it's been a crazy couple weeks with the news, so I've had to work a lot more. And as a result, I've I got a big paycheck coming in on Friday. And I want to use some of it toward buying an Absolute Edition. I only have three. And we were talking about it, I think, two weeks ago when... When they announced there was a Swamp Thing Absolute Edition, and I said I'd want to get it. But it made me realize I could buy... I don't have to buy that. There's other Absolute Editions. So if you guys have recommendations, uh, either post them in the Discord or get at me on the Twitter. Uh, I'm thinking about Sandman. I'm thinking about Swamp Thing. I'm thinking about V for Vendetta. Watchmen would be good. Uh, Give me your suggestions. Yeah. Write in. Let us know what you guys think Phil should pick up. Um, if you have any any recommendations, we'll we'll uh, definitely read them all, and uh, we will talk about it next week on the show. Um, I will make my purchase after the show next week, Ooh. or maybe during the show. Do it live. Yeah, I'll make the purchase during the show next nice. Saturday, which will be posted next uh, Monday. I I really wanted to make a joke here, but the all the absolute editions are so good that. It's kind of like there isn't a bad one. Let me get Daphne Byrne Absolute Edition. Okay, oh, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> the book that single-handedly saved the comic book industry. <laughs> yeah, okay, that was solid. <laughs> you know, what can I say? <laughs> what more it. can be said about Daphne Byrne? What more can be said about Daphne Byrne? <laughs> <laughs> that should be a podcast. No, it shouldn't. Um... <laughs> Have you ever read, just as an aside, uh, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? I haven't, no. Uh, mm-hmm. It's have that. weird. It's weird. It's According not, to Alan Moore, it's the only good comic book. So That's it's right. Not, it's not what you think it's going to be. <laughs> what a ringing uh, endorsement. <laughs> this is the only good comic book. <laughs> Alan Moore. That, that sounds like the guy you knew in school that did nothing but talk shit, but he liked one thing. And part of you was like, well, it's like the only thing he likes. Maybe I should check it out. <laughs> I'm right. right here, Phil. <laughs> Shh. This isn't an absolute edition, but it is an omnibus. Red Hood and the Outlaws <laughs> by Scott Lobdell. Uh, Kale, stop listening for a second. Guys, we should chip in and get that for Kale as a Christmas <laughs> oh present. God. Love it. That would be so mean. <laughs> 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 to, buy, to buy him that expensive of a gift, that's just a prank. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kale, you can come back now. Uh, yeah, so, Kale, uh, not talking about Red Hood and the Outlaws or anything. Good. Why would you? Yeah. <laughs> Scott Lobdell's the worst. We should burn his house down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> Shit. All right. Let's, let's, not, let's not call for murder. Um, okay, what's I, well, I didn't say he was going to be in it. <laughs> well, you know. I mean, he could be. That's, But that's not on me. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Just incriminate us. That's great. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
<laughs> so, like, fast forward to, like, his house burns down for an unrelated reason. The four of us get arrested and Kale is overseas. <laughs> mm-hmm. he, can't get, he can't get me. <laughs> <laughs> They'll extradite your ass. And no proof. All right, let's let's get into a little bit of news here. So, uh, the two news pieces that we're going to start with are going to be a part of the third news item that we're going to end with, which is the biggest thing that happened this week. Um, and so, we're going to kick it off with a little conversation about. According to Milton Grepp from ICV2, how the coronavirus impacted the comics industry. Now, for those of you who don't know, Milton Grepp is a a stalwart of the comics community. He's been around since the dawn of time, and uh, he's done it all in, in, in the business from a, from a business standpoint. Um, doesn't create the books, but he's sold them. Um, he's analyzed them, yada, yada, yada. And uh, frequently, he, through his website, puts out a financial look at the business and what's what's uh, you know what's been going on. So Forbes took that and they made an article out of it, and uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, so he put out his state of the industry, and he you know aggregated all these different sources to discuss the finances of the business. And so, what did we learn? Well, we learned that had it not been for the coronavirus, we were on track to break the record set in 2019 of 1.2 billion sales. Wow, which is tremendous. That's great news for the bit for the business um, that we were trending to eclipse even that number. The comics industry is a billion-dollar industry, and I don't think we talk about it like that enough. So I think that's worth noting. Um, but that's the that's the good. That's the good. There is there's some more good, but obviously the coronavirus uh, impacted things in a negative way. And for seven weeks, of course, uh, Diamond had shut things down. We we remember that those were the dark days. Uh, DC, of course, they pick things back up quicker through Lunar and UCS. Um, they weren't down to uh, to lose out on all that money. Um, so according to the Forbes article, uh, the sales of comics in the retail channel were down uh, 29% overall. Um, Yikes. With... Hmm. Individual comics floppies down 37%, graphic novels down 18%, and manga down 8%. Um, and we lost 93 retailers as a result Whoa. of that. That's a big number. Yeah. That's a that's a really big number and a scary number. Uh, and that's out of around 1,500 total retailers across the, across the country. Damn. Fifteen hundred um, total, you said. Yeah, a- around that number, and, and that's what we have left, or that's what we had before we lost the ninety-three. That's what we had before. That's where we started, and then we that's lost a, ninety-three. That's a large percentage. Yeah. Um, now in the bookstore channel, 
So, you know, Barnes & Noble or Scholastic or whatever, uh, obviously Scholastic is probably not a factor in this conversation, but in general, um, it was the actual, the, the, the opposite. Um, sales actually went up. And that is likely because of kids. Because the top selling books have been things like Dogman, um, which has been doing tremendously well. Uh, so in, in the, in the, what they call juvenile fiction, uh, genre of, of comics, we saw 37% of all graphic novel sales were through bookstores. Um, 31% of all manga sales through bookstores. The superhero genre was only 7% of those sales. Wow. Yeah. And a a 10% drop off from where it was last year. 10%. Sorry? 10%? 10 10%. 10% drop. 10%. In, in the book channel. The, the bookstore channel. The bookstore, yeah. Yeah. Um, Grep says that he uh, analyzes this as five years worth of change in one year. What's happened yeah. in 2020. Um, yeah. I feel like <laughs> I lived five years of life in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dude, we were in the hyperbolic time chamber forever. Really? <laughs> um, it talks about DC and the big changes that DC made. Um they made monumental shifts this year. Uh, they laid off a ton of creators. Um, obviously, we've seen Dan Didio um, forced out. Uh, changes at the top. Jim Lee's role is different now. Um, and, of course, the biggest thing they did was they ditched Diamond for Lunar and UCS. Of course, now they only have Lunar. Um and Marvel really didn't do much. Marvel really didn't ha- make any changes. Marvel kind of kept things um, afloat and didn't feel the need to uh, do too many big things. So um, this, what the, the biggest takeaway for me from this article is that the comics industry did not falter in the ways that we thought it would. It didn't fall apart in the ways that we thought it would. Um, were things bad? Yes. Obviously, we talked about the loss of almost 100 stores out of 1,500. That's not good. But when you think about what we actually went through this year, when you think about the scope of everything and the doom and gloom that was being reported about where the industry was headed, that's not that bad. You're talking about an expansion of comics in the book market, which is a positive thing. You're talking about an industry that didn't die, that's still healthy. In a lot of ways. And that's finding new ways to service audiences across the globe. I think that's positive. Definitely. I think the the line in this article that I thought was most interesting, um, it was right, right in the paragraph where you said how he noted it was like five years worth of change in a year. And, and he said he noted the pandemic accelerated dynamics already at work in the industry and forced publishers, distributors, and retailers to face weaknesses in their models that the crisis brought to the fore. And I think that's the thing that I'm most interested in, right, is that like to your point, um, it wasn't nearly as catastrophic as – 
as as I expected. I definitely thought we would see more stores close than 100, and that's not an insignificant number. Um, that's a large percentage of all of the shops, and we've talked a lot about how when those shops close, you know, they don't they're probably not going to reopen, right? Um, you're probably not going to see a new comic book store crop up to replace it because um, they close a lot more than they open. So I think that is such an interesting wrinkle to things is like not necessarily is this representative of, you know, of a change that's still going to continue in, in on this or at this level, right? Because as places are reopening and we got like curbside pickup and these alternatives and you're able to go to shops again, it, it, the regular rhythm for a lot of readers had returned. But I wonder how many people in that off period did go and buy at a bookstore or order, order trades off Amazon or switch to Comixology. Like, you know, like Marco, uh, I know, was got in that, on the, in that game hugely uh, over this, this period. So that, I think, is probably the more interesting takeaway to me is that, you know... It's great to hear that comics are in a place where they're a billion dollar industry. I love to see like all these young readers picking up, you know, Dogman and and all these these new books and like getting an interest in comics. Um, I wonder. I'm. <laughs> I hate to get ahead of myself. I'm very interested to see what the numbers look like next year. Yes. Right. Yeah. Where like does this trend continue? Do we have a second wave? Where we're we're stuck in like a serious lockdown mode again, especially now that Joe Biden, you know, is going to be the president. Like, do, what does that mean? Do we see more comic book store closures? Do we see more people going to these quote unquote alternative channels to get their comics? Um, because I think you look at, at the uh, the manga percentages, and that's super telling, right? that the channels that people buy manga through seem to, at least anecdotally, have been less disrupted. Right. And that's probably because the vast majority of their sales don't come from comic book stores, don't come from a niche uh, local shop that doesn't have an online distribution model, right? Where if you're reading manga and maybe you went to a store to pick it up, all of a sudden you have to order it online or whatever, how much does that really change what you're doing, right? <clears throat> Not that much. It also be it would also be interesting to find out how manga was affected by the virus in general, like in a distribution capacity. It just I mean, in you know, in the same way we're talking about it here, uh, you know, is there manga pals in Japan that you know oh, are, are talking about um, you know manga and the disruption of shonen or, or something? You know, was it disrupted? I don't know that it was actually. I, I, you know, I don't recall hearing anything. I like us I mean, having Japanese doppelgangers. I love that idea. Uh, I, I think it's it's interesting when you bring that up because, like, I know very little about manga. But one of the things that I I think is true, and Marco can correct me, is that I feel like m many manga are produced by one person and are like, you know, there's not. A colorist, there's not, you know, there, there like are less hands that a piece has to get translated from. So I wonder how that impacted like production, like how many books, like did less manga stop than than single comic issues? 
it's uh it's less so a person like like yes like the driving force is a single person but they have teams typically that like like inking teams penciling teams okay. that it's much Backgrounds. more yeah it's much more structured than it would be anything else um but but yeah i i think uh to your point like the understanding how they survived or how they did better or were less impacted is probably a lesson to be learned and to be replicated right because it it, it it shows that it can be future-proofed to some extent should something like this happen again. Or just generally, it means that because there's a larger mode of distribution and a mode of consumption, more people can, can have access to it. It might grow it a little bit more more well, so than, than, other, uh, than other sources. Let's not forget the reason why we stopped was because Diamond wanted to make sure we were being safe. It wasn't, no, sure. it wasn't it wasn't anything on the creative end. It wasn't even anything, at least for the big two, it wasn't even anything about like we can't produce books. It was diamonds not shipping them. And stores aren't there to receive them. So I don't know if that I don't think that that's really a, a difference between manga and comics in the sense of like production it's really just there was nowhere to put them and diamond wasn't going to put them out right right and i think i think that is strictly related to the distribution but then that means that or you can extrapolate that uh manga has more is more accessible it has more ways for you to access that content outside of it having to be printed and shipped to a specialty store and like the the mode of consumption there is much more vast compared to the, the comics industry, whereas potentially, and, and obviously we, we don't necessarily know, but that distribution model wasn't affected or less so based off of the numbers. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think the way I interpret this data is it says comic retail channel, right? That makes me feel like this is talking about comic book stores. Mm-hmm. And so... If that's the case, and it's saying that Mango was down only eight percent, I just I think that's literally just in stores, like in comic book stores. Well, it mentions within the book market as well, so I don't know how they're parsing out that data. So, um, in the book market, it says that uh, all thirty-seven percent of all graphic novels sold um, uh, through bookstores was the juvenile fiction genre, uh, followed by manga at 31%. And that's in the that's in bookstores. Okay. Right. Because you'd imagine most people who buy manga in the West are probably getting it from a bookstore or like an Amazon, some kind of distributor like that, rather than... Because I don't, I don't feel like you usually see a ton of manga in comic book stores. Not a lot. Depends on where you are, obviously. Some shops are going to cultivate that kind of market. But, like, anecdotally, um, no shop that I've frequented has ever had, like, a ton of manga. You know, maybe a few of, like, you see, like, your Naruto's or your One Piece or whatever. But, like, you know, not necessarily, like, the the deeper cuts or whatever. Yeah, I mean, my local shop is Midtown Comics, and they have a ton, but that's obviously mm-hmm. an outlier. They have, like, a whole section, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. 
I think the other interesting thing here is specific to the YA section being that like it, it you know it's been the understanding and I feel like we've reported on one of the like a similar article um or like later last year but um I think it's also like a sobering tell of where comics are being or by what demographic comics are being consumed by and like can we now say that the that the retail or direct market is the largest market anymore or um like the fastest growing like it 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 feels like we have to also better define now what comics and the comics industry is because of how large a share and how apparently unaffected the ya section has been and and those aren't always put out via direct um via the direct market they're more so in book and bookstores so like do we now have to define those bookstores as being the real places where people buy comics you know quote unquote as defined in however we will so i think i think that's an interesting challenge for sure well especially because like it's it's interesting to look at that data and wonder what it means long term. Yeah. Because one of one of the things that's called out at the end of this this uh, Forbes piece is it says the biggest challenge ahead is finding a place in the retail equation for the millions of readers of Dogman who will eventually age out and start looking for other stuff to read. Uh, if comics can hold on to those new readers, twenty twenty will look like just a bump in the road in the rearview mirror. And that's interesting, right? Is like, you know, because I remember being a kid and reading. Um, comics that were not traditional comics. You know, like I remember I read like the Pokemon Adventures manga, um, the Western localization, and uh, like Captain Underpants, which was Dave Pilkey's big series before Dogman and stuff like that that are like technically comics and are like the kinds of books that I think are making up a good percentage of this 37% of, of you know, youth sales that we're talking about. But like, are those... Are those now activated readers, or are those those kids who are fans of Dogman, right? And like when they when they age out of that, do they go looking for more comics? Are they thinking of comics as unique, right? As like I'm reading comics and I want to read more comics, or do they just see this as reading a book? You know, because I know at that age I wasn't really making that distinction, and when I aged out of reading those books, it wasn't until I circled back and got into like ultimate spider-man which was a more traditional comic that i got into comp quote-unquote got back into comics right so like i don't know like what does this actually mean long term for the industry is like a super interesting question yeah that's a great point i yeah. genuine oh sorry go no, ahead go for it i just i think a smart shop would take what you just said pete and would make a kid's section. Yeah. Like a, a big good one. Or like and, a, a transitional section. Or, or something, yeah. Because like, you know, your question was, you know, are do they recognize they're reading a comic or do they recognize they're reading a book? Well, if they get it at a bookstore, they probably think they're reading a book. But if they get it at a comic book store, they'll know that there is stuff like it. Hmm. I, I I think that's a, that's a really... Um, big piece of this and it's it's something that we can't overlook so um 
there's a graph here that shows that, and I believe they said it's the first for the first time, uh, that the book channels have surpassed comic stores in sales of comics for the first time. 570 million in the book channel to 525 million. Um, Didn't we look at this? This is because this is the ni- 2019 graph in this article. I feel like we looked at this last year. And oh, that did was we? The f- yeah, yeah, I, th- I we think did. that that last year was the first time that the market had ever officially overtaken it, and now it's like that's parsing that's through fine. data again. Yeah. Um. But the but the point the point I'm I'm trying to make is the fact that those sales because Dogman's been popular for a while. It's not new. No. And those those sales eventually aren't necessarily going to be there. I mean, there will always be kids, I guess. But those people who are who are you know maybe ten, eleven, whatever, reading those books, if they don't like, what I'm trying to say is, we don't know what that means for comics, right? As a whole, and. We don't know if you can activate those people to read. What even if it's not Marvel or DC, it could be Image, it could be Boom, it could be whatever. That I don't believe that they know that they're reading comics. When I was a kid and I was reading those like Pokemon things or you know Captain Underpants, whatever, I didn't know I was reading comics. And when people ask me what's the first comic you ever read, I've never in my life said that. You know. Even though um, that's probably what it is, right? Like, <laughs> right. And that's something that the industry has to figure out if it can tackle. Because there is a disconnect between the knowing of what you're consuming. When you read a book, you know you're reading a book. It doesn't matter where you got it. The fact that where you buy a comic determines whether or not you know you're reading a comic is a problem. The fact that kids or even parents who are buying Dogman for their kids don't know that they're buying their kids' comic books is a problem. Or uh, yeah, because it's it's so interesting because like it's such a weird like modular, it's such a weird middle ground, right? Like you you think oh my kid's reading like great you know like like I read a ton of like Calvin and Hobbes as a kid and I would mm-hmm. go get those those. Uh, the big collected editions at a Barnes and Noble, and you go to the comic section and get it, but it's not the same as going to a comic book store and getting inundated in like the culture of comics. You know, those are those are in a like a funny a funny book section. It's a, the humor section, and they even were back then. Yeah, mm. those were the comic like comic strips are always sold in different places from comic books and manga. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. What's your make of this, uh, Phil? Um, well, I, I think we really have to give it up to you and Marco here, Sean. I, you know, with all these percentages down, you guys are keeping the industry up. Just the two of you. You're both like, <laughs> yeah. Marco's on digital now, baby. Oh shit! Hey, that those sales count. Those sales so, count. Yeah, Sean atlas here man just keeping the comic book industry up on your, <laughs> on your someone, shoulders someone on this damn podcast has to buy a comic <laughs> hey listen i'm gonna well, like, drop a hundred like on a real one absolute next week a real one yes like when well, i yeah, can but, touch yeah 
<laughs> you're, gonna be eating, you're gonna be eating dinner off that comic like what's the <laughs> i um i think um to to what pete was saying as to like um only i guess we us only associating it to dogman as like an ip versus like understanding the comic i think that's definitely a great point i I also know that Reina Telgemeier's books are, have yeah. also been yeah. extremely popular and and are separate of the um, the Dogman works. I know Matt Luke is Matt Luke's is another creator that I follow who does a lot um, uh, of YA novels. Like I I think they're and and maybe this is just because we aren't as inundated in that in that culture, but. I think that there is somewhat of an understanding that those are comics. The last time I had gone to Barnes and Nobles, um, like earlier earlier this year, they had a section that had broken out into young adult comics and and youth, you, youth comics. Yeah, like, like yeah. they they've they're distinguishing it now. I think more and I think to your to your point, it's totally valid that maybe the child isn't perceiving it to be distinct in any way. But I think there is a concerted effort to try to distinguish it for the for the audience or even for the parents who are trying to pick it up for those for those kids. Because um, if you're able to distinguish that, ideally you can funnel them into one way. I, I think the ultimate goal here is to funnel those kids into to comics in some way or form. Um, and I think that at the very least at the very least i think that there is some sort of messaging around that that has been somewhat successful at least from like the retail end in 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 the barnes and nobles that i've seen or the bookstores that i've seen i don't disagree with that i think that i think that's that's accurate but i think that if you're a parent right and you buy your kid dogman if you went into a store and you saw x-men would you say oh my kid likes Dogman. I wonder if they'll like X Men. Well, it's a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> but but the I guess like if they're being categorized as a YA comic and a comic, then that that shouldn't have to be like need to be distinguished necessarily because you could say okay, this one's just for kids, whereas this one is hey, he's growing up. Maybe I can get him this comic. I've, and even still, there are X Men like kids books yeah you know kids comics that would probably go in that same section in my mind the level of thought you just put into it is deeper than what the average parent is when they're at the store buying books for their kids and fucking stupid (laughs) and it's a lot different when you're buying harry potter to say okay yeah my kid is reading harry potter and they love it the next step up is whatever the hell, uh, Hunger Games or, you know, whatever. Then it is to say, oh, my kid's reading Dogman. The next step up is Spider-Man or Batman. I really believe in my mind that there is a difference between those things in the minds of a person who doesn't know anything about comics. Like, we have to remember, and this is something that I think we forget. We're really close to it. But pull yourself out of that. I bet most people don't realize that they still make X-Men comics. I, 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 I bet anything on that. That most people don't realize 
that X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman still get published every single week. Hmm. I don't know if that's true, but boy. Yeah, maybe. I, well, I don't know. I think... I think <laughs> John, you made me really think in real time. Brilliant commentary from Phil. <laughs> it's it's riveting tough, though, right? conversation. Because like, because I think to Sean's point, like, <laughs> you start thinking about. Well, everyone I know knows that the, because yeah. both most of the people I know either read comics or know me, right? So, and they know I do a comic book podcast, so that already taints all of your your observable data so, and then it's like all right well like i think about like my dad right well he knows that because of me too so, so the, it's like yeah. it, it, it gets worse and worse and worse the, the, where, qu- the question is getting out of your own bubble right and that's what's always tricky in any in any walk of life period is trying to get out of your own bubble i i think we've come a long way from that perception because i i think back to a memory from when i was a kid of of people just getting basic comic book facts wrong uh, leading into Spider-Man 3 because uh you know people just aren't really knowledgeable about the you know in, in and outs of comic books but i think comic books have become such a large part of um you know greater media at this point i think even without reading stuff i think most people recognize that there are Spider-Man comics and whatnot that do come out every week they just have no interest in reading it Two but i think Sorry, I just want to get this out. One, um, comic books have not become so ubiquitous. The characters have. Yes, and I think that's, that's a I mean. massive. Mm. That's a massive distinction. Mm. Two, how many parents do you know? People who are working all day and then come home and have to take care of their kids. I don't think they know or care whether or not Spider Man is being published. Yeah, you could say like someone in their twenties early 30s who's a free spirit who watches the movies who has friends who read comics and all of that but once you get past that point and you're talking about adults who actually have 11 12 year old children i don't think they know or care anything about that they might watch a a, a marvel movie and they love it but i don't think their knowledge of comic books extends past that i'm gonna I'm, uh, you have you have me wondering now. I'm gonna ask some boomers I work with that are like in their fifties and sixties. Like I'll, I don't know what the question framing will be, but I'll be like, uh, uh, "Hey, you just be like, be like, just be like, hey, have you read the latest Spider-Man comic?" No, 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 no. That that frames the question incorrectly because then that no, it, they will legitimately say, "I guarantee you." Oh, I didn't even know they published those anymore. No, because no, it it puts the idea in their head. That that's a bad that's bad polling data. Uh, I don't know what. What is this? The U.S. election? Who gives a shit? <laughs> we do. No, no. If I you wanted to buy a comic book, would you know where to get it? Okay. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll ask some older people I know, and I'll come back to the show next week. Just because this isn't like a right or wrong thing. I'm just curious. Anecdotally, yeah. Because yeah. uh, uh, to to your point, Sean. Um, like I think about like uh, like my cousin. And, and her husband who are in their 40s and they have two kids who are teenagers, right? Like, the, the, the way that I think about the way that older people relate to younger people, quote-unquote, media is like, is your kid interested in this, right? And to the, to the point that you made, if you have a kid who is reading Dogman specifically, right? We'll keep that example I, I don't know that you make that that you draw that comparison. Whereas like if maybe they're reading like um 
Like we talked a couple months ago about how they had that new YA Miles Morales book that was coming out, right? So like I can see the line between, okay, I've got a kid. We saw Spider-Verse. They loved Miles Morales. I'll buy them this YA book. Okay, I want to get them something else. Okay, let's get them the Miles Morales collected edition that's for teenagers now that they're 12 or 13, right? Like you can see how that that line gets drawn from the more like, you know, the more like quote unquote bookstore comics. I think that's like a way, way tougher question. And it's not like the one-to-one that you see in pretty much any other medium because if you think of Dogman as a book, the next step might be a Harry Potter or a Hunger Games or a Lord of the Rings or whatever. Whereas like, you know, if your kid plays video games, right? Like you bought them a box to play video games and you buy the next video game, right? Or if they liked a Marvel movie, you watch the other fucking 30 Marvel movies on Disney Plus or whatever, right? It's so much easier to draw the the line between my child is interested in this to what's the next step in in any of those other examples. And I think to, to just to move it away from the superhero example, because I think like like the question was posed, would someone know that X-Men is, is still being published? But I think you could safely say that it was like, are, do comic books exist for you to consume? And and I think that that somebody is going to say yes, regardless of whether or not it's a X-Men book or like a random indie book or an image book. And, and if Dogman doesn't fit into a like a superhero genre necessarily, or well, it, it would. But let's say something by Reina or by Matt Luke's. Like if those don't fit into it, and those are big books that they're consuming, they're just other pieces of of content that you could. I think following Pete's logic, which I I, I agree. I think like you become invested as a parent in providing your child with what they would want to consume. You, you go and look into the the subsequent section that uh, either within the YA comic section or the further comic section because they've come to realize that maybe it's not superheroes necessarily, but comics exist and this is something that your child has consumed. And therefore, like you can you can jump make the jump outside of just the big two or to anything else. Marco, that you're is, adding you're adding so much of yourself to that, dude. No, that's but, not, but that's that dude. If you really think that the average American parent knows that there's comics outside of the big two, like that there's comics at all, then that there's comics that aren't Captain America or Batman, then that they're going to be sitting there in the YA <laughs> comic section and going, hmm, let me see what non big two book. I yeah, can what's Timmy going to read? No, 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 but, not, but that's not, no, 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 but I'm not, not I'm not saying happened. that I'm not saying that they're looking out for specifically comic books that aren't, um, that aren't the big two. I'm saying that they understand that comic that because the comics exist and because people conflate superheroes with comics, you can, you can safely say that obviously there's going to be some sort of comic and we can conflate that with superheroes or whatever it's going to exist out there because it, it we, there there hasn't been any doubt that those kind of comics are being published regardless of the character there hasn't like been? super like superhero comics are are being published you how did why that that's what i'm saying i don't i don't i, I disagree with that on a baseline i don't think the average american knows that comics still get published i don't believe that but if you're a parent and you and like you're trying to facilitate your child's interests, I think you do because otherwise, it, I I think it's a shitty parent. I think but most parents average, are not thinking like that. 
I really, yeah. yeah. Really? Well, yeah, because I think to that to that point, I think that there are parents that think like that. But I think that, um, like Sean said, if you're talking about like, you know, average working class American, whatever, like you're going to give your kid what they're interested in. And if they're interested in Dogman or whatever, that doesn't necessarily draw the line to, well, let's get him in. Let's get Timmy into a comic book store, you know? Um, like, because yeah. do you know where the nearest comic book store is? Do you know, oh, like, well, that I'm, there's content out there for them like i i was i i don't know that it was like a comic book store necessarily i, I was just thinking like if you, you're picking up this book in uh in a barnes and nobles you'll get them the next comic in a barnes and nobles even if you do yeah. that what the most likely because we've all been kids right so use your own experience speak for yourself when when i was a kid uh i got what i wanted my parents didn't like go and go curate like, oh, things yeah. for you right no they they got me what i said i wanted so i think like must be nice the, <laughs> like even even on that premise i don't believe that the average american parent is like hmm let me go on my own let me take time out of my day to go to barnes and noble and peruse the specifically comic section and figure out how to indoctrinate my child they don't care if their kid continues to read comics unless that's what their kid tells them they want to do and then picks the book out and and the kid has to know that it's a comic and i don't think they do and that they want it and all that right (laughs) i i think you're 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 putting too much faith in and it's not even a matter of faith it's just like that's not how parents work but like, like like your parents never got you like a video game no. Nope. They really? got me what I said I wanted only. Yeah, that's the thing is I like my my ex- using that example, right, Marco? When I wanted a video game, it was because I liked video games and I read I got Electronic Gaming Monthly because I was a huge fucking nerd and and I had a bunch of video game magazines that came to the house and I'd be this one, I want this one and I'd pay attention to it for 6 12 whatever months and it'd be on my calendar and I'd be counting the days down and then we'd go to Toys R Us and I'd get the game and the only time I would get games that I didn't ask for uh, or like that was not me directly asking to go and get the thing would be at like holidays or my birthday and it would still be from a list that I curated you know I could tell you the the, the specific games that I got that I didn't ask for that's how rare of an occurrence <laughs> damn really yeah like that shit happens. Don't get me for. wrong, but yeah, like, dog, the, the, parents don't care. No, that they don't what? care. <laughs> the only <laughs> they don't care. The only time I ever got things I didn't like specifically ask for. I mean, I, like for specifically like entertainment. Um, it was like if I was sick and like my parents were trying to do like a nice thing for me while I was sick. Like they mm. went and got me something that I even asked for. Must be nice. <laughs> Cause see, even even in that scenario though, right? And it's like, and this is coming from the lens of like, I had parents that were very in, like they paid attention to what I was interested in and tried to engage me on it, right? Ooh, like, fucking brag. <laughs> I'm sorry, your parents didn't love you, Kale. We all love you <laughs> enough to make up corner, for it. Like... Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> but like to the example that Phil just gave, right? Like my my dad would be like, oh well, I know that he likes this, 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 and this, so I'll go get him this right and like yeah they were close they tried yeah like even that it would be like oh you're really into like harry potter right now like here i got you like this fucking side thing or whatever great okay it's like you're i got got you a stick from the yard you can pretend it's a wand (laughs) 
Go if you missed stories, or something I don't know. If you missed more of Kale's stories from you. the bread basket, huh? <laughs> Cut me a switch. Oh, you guys don't want to hear my Harry Potter stories. <laughs> no, that's not. Actually, maybe I do. <laughs> it's for another that's episode. Right. That's right. tool of the all devil. this to say. All this to say, though, to sort of bring it back to stores and sort of what I was saying about uh, uh, comic book stores bringing all this in what would be interesting in the future is to see you know one if comic book stores can make deals with scholastic or you know the people who are putting out these books for young readers because that's gotta be tough uh, especially when most of your stores are dying but then also if comic book stores can redirect attention to themselves and i think that will be another struggle that will be tough on top of the fact that even the big two don't advertise their product to normal people you know they're making billions of dollars off these properties but they're not redirecting the market back to the comic book not enough anyway Right, and and it's like we and we've talked about this before, like ad nauseum about how like there are limited examples of like I remember going to see um, uh, Homecoming or Far From Home, whichever it was, and they like had a Spider-Man comic to give you, right? Um, Yeah, you'd know all about that, right, Kale? Why don't you tell me the plots of both of them? No, Uh, I don't want to hear you talk. He went home Uh, and then he left. Honestly, better than I expected. Uh, <laughs> so, like, there, there are, there are minimal efforts yeah. to do that sort of thing, and it's yeah. like it's not the same as. And I, we draw this comparison a lot, but like, think about like how like you if you're watching football, there's a commercial for the next Assassin's Creed or whatever, right? For the or next football, Call of Duty. What? For the next football, yeah. For the, the next, next football, football. Yeah. yes. I'm that was going. a joke, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> They're driving you back into the market. Um, <laughs> and well, like I think about like my hometown, you know, bumfuck middle of nowhere, Texas. Like they lost their biggest chain, you know, in 2012, 13 or whatever. Uh, uh, Hastings, mm. and legitimately, this was a huge blow uh, across like the Midwest. And, uh, like, comic book stores have struggled to stay open. If there was a local comic book store commercial, like, that would get a ton of people. But there's not. And so people don't know about it. Therefore, parents don't know about it. And it's all probably religion and all that shit anyway, so. You know what is interesting to me, though, when when we do talk about this is, like, to take it back to like Sean's question of like, does the average parent know this is an option? Blah 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 blah. I don't know about you guys, but anecdotally for me, whenever I go to Free Comic Book Day, it's like I feel like seventy five percent of the people there are parents with kids. Yeah, like every time, and that's super weird to me. That like, I in general, I feel like I agree with your point, Sean. So, but so, but it's so it's like, how do these outlier people? get that inundation maybe the parents are just fucking dorks so they know right Be- but- because 
the experience that you are referring to is a microcosm. It's a, that's a, that's a, that's an extremely limited thing. So you live, you know, in, you, you, well, now you live in a city, but you know, you didn't necessarily, you even lived in Jersey. Like you live in places where a comic book store might have been fairly accessible to, to, to get to. Yeah. Where I lived, where I grew up in Jersey, there were three comic book stores within driving distance. Right. Um, like think of like, take, take, leave Jersey, go to Wisconsin, right? Sure. Like go to Milwaukee. Like it's not the America's huge and our knowledge bases are different. We live on the East coast. Like there's just so many factors at play when it comes to that, that I really don't feel like, like the anecdotal evidence is, is fine and it, and it does add context, but I don't think that that's a representation of what you would find in even like 90% of examples. I think it's that extreme. I think it might yeah. be even more extreme than that. I know what you mean, but Milwaukee probably has a lot of conflict. All right. I, I just I couldn't think thing. of. Yeah. I, I know. I know. I'm saying, I know. I got your point. I'm just saying that I feel like Milwaukee probably the got it covered. The fuck part of Milwaukee. Yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, I mean, to, to your point, Sean, right? Like, like now I live in Philly and there are plenty of comic book stores here. But like, what about Western PA? Aside from like Pittsburgh, like between here and Pittsburgh, how many comic book stores are there that you could go to? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's I think that is that is worthwhile. Let's let's uh, let's let's shift this conversation. We've been in this for a while. We've got a couple other things to get to. Keep in mind from that talk, though, the biggest most important thing you can take from this conversation is that DC clearly, based on what we just discussed, is reading the tea leaves. DC is aware of where the money appears to be in comics. Keep that in mind. Now, DC Future State is the next big thing coming from them. Alongside that is an event that we've essentially forgotten about, which is Generations. Oh, yeah. Generations <laughs> is supposed to be 5G that, you know, Gave us that's basically gone at this point. And now we know that even though there's literally a book called Generations Future State, we now know that those two events have nothing to do with each other. They are not related at all. Love it. It's like Can't a naming convention it. pulled right from a fucking Capcom game or something. So we're getting like two events at the same time? That have nothing to do with each other, yet despite the fact that their names cross over. And despite the fact that they have similar like ideas attached to them. Generations is, is, is exploring like time in DC and all that stuff. And Future State takes place in the future. And, exploring time. Yeah, exactly. And there's... Uh, <laughs> There's a, a another event called Endless Winter, which is also coming. So, you know, wrap your brain around that. Now... I can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Generations is going to continue in January and February. Of course, those are the same months we'll be getting Future State. But again, they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. Um, the The Batman editor... Uh, for DC is saying 
that uh, Generations is its own thing right now. Dan Jurgens and Kevin Nolan did great on the story in Detective Comics 127. Those are exciting, or 1027, I'm sorry. Those are exciting events, and people will be pleased on how that plays out. Uh, now, we'll be the judge of that. Yeah, exactly. Thanks a lot. <laughs> um, this is not something we need to chew on for long. I'm pointing this out to show that DC is clearly not aware of the 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 sort of timeline of what they want to do and how things are are going to be interrelated. This is how wonky things over are over there. Um, that this is all changing in real time in front of our faces. Um, Detective Comics ten twenty seven. That I mean, that was like that was in September. So from September to now, these things are not related anymore. You literally published something two months ago that said, "Keep follow follow up with with this story in Generations Future State." One month ago. <laughs> I'm sorry. One month ago. That's crazy to me. Now, all of that is the build up to this announcement. My head hurts. Mine yeah, you too. Can, you can wrap his head up. It's about to get it. worse. Bleeding Cool is reporting. And, uh, you know, I know people hear oh, that and they, you know, whatever. Bleeding <laughs> Cool's right a lot of the time, I feel like, when it comes to this yeah. industry stuff. They they're break reporting most of the stories. Yeah, exactly. They're saying that DC is, after Death Metal and Future State, abandoning continuity. And that they will be going toward an omniverse model. Which was referenced in uh, Death Metal Rise of the New Gods. And essentially what that means is that things happened... But they don't matter for what you're reading unless they matter. That's basically what it means. Jesus Christ. All right. So unless they specifically tell you, hey, uh, you know, Flash 1051 is really important here, you can assume that it's irrelevant. Now, obviously, that could get weird because then you could say, like, okay, well, I'm reading, uh, you know, this new Batman story. Um does his origin matter here? How much of his origin matters here? Have there ever been Robins? Who has been Robin? All of those. Who's Batman? Ex- you know, you know, like I'm that's Batman. how that's how dumb this is. But I'm Batman, chum. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. Um. So all of this is. It feels like a- a- an opposite motion of where Dan Didio was was trying to get DC to go. Yeah, um, it does. <laughs> yeah, it does. Dan, Dan you him. can, you can see that. <laughs> yeah, he wanted like hyper continuity, and now we got the omniverse. Um, well, it's like it's like his stuff, at least as convoluted as it was, it had a logic, and it like to some degree right. was linear. Like he was trying to make a universe of things make sense. That's this is yeah. That was Grant stuff, man. Now, I want to I wanna say real quick before you guys jump up that there are pros and there are cons. I'm going to lay them out. The pros. 
obviously this creates you know from a from a from a far back perspective we'll we'll get closer but just from a far back perspective this creates better opportunities for people who are uninitiated to jump in and just pick a book up right if you just if you just like batman and you want to buy batman number 1 from now on if bleeding cool is correct Batman number one will not require you to have read the actual Batman number one from 1930-whatever. So that's a pro. Another pro. Comic creators who work for DC Comics and have their one big Superman story in their mind can now tell that story without having to worry about whether or not Lois Lane is in space or captured or dead. Whether or not Superman has a child. All of those things will be able to be basically restarted for your big story. Um, Another pro is that there will be less continuity errors um, because you can just say those things are irrelevant and you can throw them out the window. And the last pro in my mind is that typically uh, Elseworlds type of stories do well for DC uh, they're often more evergreen because they're not so strictly tied to anything in particular. Um, and you can generally do what you want to do. Look at a lot of the, the like top DC stories that, that get talked about a lot. Oftentimes, those are the ones that are the least connected to anything in particular. Like Kingdom Come, which we did a book club on. You can go. Is that out yet? Not yet. Okay. End of, end of the weeks. month. Um, you, you guys will be able to hear that. Um, you know... Dark Knight, Returns, all that stuff. You get my drift. Those are the pros. The cons, no continuity. No continuity is garbage uh, because there are so many fans who appreciate and love the vast history of DC and don't want to uh, lose that. I think there are a lot of people who buy comics for the continuity and uh, losing that would, would hurt those people. Uh, another con is that this feels like double dipping. You already have Black Label. You already have a, a YA line and things that are continuity light at, at the very least um, that are doing well and that were your answer to those people who said, I want to be able to just jump into a story. Um, so what happens with that? Uh, and also, it will inevitably create a feeling of things don't matter. And once that happens, are people actually as invested in these characters? When none of the stories connect to each other, do people still care care in the way that they do? Um, And actually, I have one more. That probably means you can't do events, at least not in the way you do them now. And without that, you lose out guaranteed on a certain revenue stream. There are people Mm. who buy events specifically and nothing else. So those are the pros and cons as I see them. What do you guys think? Kind of reminds me of what they were trying to do with DCU uh, five years ago, which is when they were trying to do uh, loose continuity stories that are more accessible for readers uh, to varying success. Uh, It feels like, damn diddy or not, DC has been really trying to experiment with getting away from continuity because it's just a tether. We've talked about it a million times on this show. Someone like Marco specifically, where it's like, crisis this crisis that or or pete for that matter you know it's a it's a web that's complicated and difficult to navigate for people who aren't inundated with dc continuity right um 
I think creatively it gives more opportunities to specific creators because that way they can tell their stories with no, you know, uh, no, you know, no chains or anything. Um, but as we discovered when we read like Sandman or Swamp Thing, like, you know, continuity done well uh, kind of provides like a historical feel to certain books. Like it feels like, ah, yeah, this is like late 80s DC. It feels like it. Um, so that kind of aspect will be lost, but, you know, I kind of, I'd kind of argue, I don't know why, you know, the last decade or so of comics don't feel distinct in continuity as much as times past. You go back to Civil War even, and it's like, oh, this feels like mid-2000s Marvel. Uh, maybe it's because we have different creators taking out events nowadays, and it's not so much a stable of people that, like, operate specific events now like they did 15 years ago it's more loose it's a looser congregation now than it was then uh unlike the x-books where we do feel like we have a stable of writers and creators working on stuff and that's why you know uh hawksbox and 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 uh, ten of swords and everything feels like a specific era other than that specifically everything feels looser in terms of this era of comics uh so maybe having looser continuity will benefit uh, DC specifically. I don't know. The, well, and how many events, you know, have they done? Maybe, maybe it's just time to try something else. I think that um, to to Phil's point, I do think that there is, uh, and, and Sean laid out a lot of opportunity. I think, though, from like a logistical standpoint, I don't know why DC would make the choice to opt out of hitting those people who. Um, I think you make a good point, Sean. Like, like, there are people who love it for the continuity and who um, read the events. I don't know that the events will go away necessarily. It might be like, uh, it might be like, oh, this Batman from this universe and this whatever. Like, how do those play into each other or something i think that there you can still finagle that in some way that might be interesting and i think on uh, as to the continuity piece um uh, agreed that there is like a history that you get from uh being able to look back at the actions of a character or things that have affected that character but i i wonder if what if there's like a new combination of things that in the past have affected like Batman, for example, like, like, um, let's say he, like there is a storyline where like, it was a Joe chill never like killed the parents or whatever. Right. And, um, that sort of spins off into something, but what if it was that same thing, but there was like another kind of pull from something else that was kind of from another deeper storyline that, you know, we hadn't necessarily read about or, or you're this just describing Grant Morrison's Batman. Well, well, but like, uh, I mean, sure. But like, then does that mean we can get the opportunity for more of those? Um, I don't know. I, I think that the flexibility allows for a lot of trial and error. And I think that it's an interesting concept. I just think from a sales perspective, it's interesting that they would, um, remove continuity altogether because you're right it is kind of like a double dip especially with the black label stuff and some of the stuff we've been seeing with like young animal um, if they're going like all in on this cool I, I I'm interested to see how it pans out and and hopefully to your point Phil it, it, it does and it it works well with this looser continuity um, 
but I think there, yeah, there's a lot of advantages to it. Um, but at the same time, from a sales perspective, there is a lot of disadvantages. We talked about it uh, in the context of DCU, or at least I brought that up. But honestly, it goes back to the new Fifty Two too, where they yeah try what they started over and they wanted to have you know they kind of picked and choose which things in continuity they liked for certain characters, specifically Green Lantern and Batman. And I said, uh, this is what happened. I, I love that you brought up the new 52, and I'm so glad you did, because that is an example of two things. One, DC did a terrible job right. with that relaunch. Um, they dropped the ball big time in terms of delivering the message on what it really was. Um, and they also did a terrible job of explaining what made why Batman had some things that stuck, but others that didn't. And, you know, other characters were completely new. Yep. Um, they did a really bad job. But the other thing that the New 52 showed, and this is, of course, 10 years ago. Um, and so, God. you know. It's not 10 years ago. It's almost 10 years ago. Uh, no, it's 2012, dog. Yeah, okay. And it's 2020 now. It's almost 2021. Get in the weeds. Let Sean make his point. Yes. So what it also showed was that fans rejected that by and large even though the new 52's initial sales were very high put yourself back in that time period there were a lot of people who were very upset about the new 52 and how it erased certain pieces of the continuity from the pre-flashpoint era that people really enjoyed and wanted to see continue um and you can easily have that happen again that was dc's biggest attempt yet at doing something like this and it failed that's so funny i i came in in the new 52 and that was the exciting bit of it was that i didn't have to worry about that stuff mm-hmm. there will always be people like you when that happens when that sweet, kind of thing happens. sweet summer child yeah, you yeah. could have just yeah, stopped right? it there like will a, always be people like you <laughs> i don't even it's an opportunity a for a new way. generation of readers too yeah go ahead Pete. um so I, I think the thing that's interesting to me is that like I don't think it's a clean answer whether it's good or bad, right? Um, and I, I think that that we can all agree on that. I think there are clear pros and cons to, to this approach. But I think the thing that's so interesting to me is we talked about this like what two weeks ago. Um, I don't remember which listener wrote in with this question, but it was like talking about how do you judge what books matter? And I think it's funny that like we as a community get so uh, some of us anyway, right, get so wrapped up in, like, continuity and, like, what matters and what doesn't. But, like, you see that all the time, right? Like, the New 52 is a great example where all continuity was thrown away. How is that any really any different than this? And I, th- I think what we'll probably see is um, an evolution to see more books like something like Spider-Man Blue, right, which takes place outside of continuity but it's entirely informed by the history of a specific era of Spider-Man. And that book feels like a book or a set of characters that has history and feels lived in, but it doesn't have to be in the confines of what's going on in Amazing Spider-Man the year that it came out, right? Or like I think about, I believe it was with Rebirth. You DC guys can uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was around the time when Bendis was taking over Superman, right? And there had been that era of Superman is a family man and he has a child and you know that was really popular and a lot of people like that and then that because they 
I'm sorry? That came out of Convergence. Convergence, thank you um, for the correction there. So, like, think about that, right? Where there's a, a huge number of readers at that point who are like, this is what I want, this is what I want out of Superman stories. But because it was time for Bendis' era to come in, they, you know, do a bunch of, like, well, let's send them off into space and do this and, do, and like, tie up ends so that we can move on to the next thing. And I think you run – you have the ability in this model to not do that, right? And if you if there is an audience that wants this version of, of Clark and Lois and John, that that can continue forward without limiting your ability to have some other writer come in and do their Superman, you know, or tell their Superman story. It can't continue forward because there's no continuity. But, but there can be self-contained continuity. There can be, but if... I'm writing Superman and I say, okay, he has no family. And then my 12 issue run ends and then you come on and you say, okay, he has a family. Then Phil's run happens and Phil says, okay, he has no family. Then Kale's run happens and he says, okay, he has a family, but John died. And then Marco says, okay, he has no family. There, There's there's no through line. There's just whoever's up next says yeah. this is what it is and that's it. It's, it's basically writing – for graphic novels. That's what this is. Mm-hmm. You know, with, when you do a graphic novel format for a story, uh, non-continuity, you establish the things that are in continuity in that narrative. So this is a thing that can only... It, honestly, this has kind of been how I've approached reading comics the last five, six, seven years anyway, where it's like, okay, well, this is this writer's and artist's continuity to this story. Because it's already already they're going to try to play it by their own rules for you know writing whatever title anyway. Yeah, because like I mean, like think about like what we're doing with X Men right now. Like how much does like you know like we uh, there was the Rosenberg one was right before that, right? And I know that that was like kind of not super warmly received by a lot of people. And it's like how much is what was happening in that book impacting what's going on like right now? You know, it it isn't. Um, it informs it in the sense that. You see, and well, you saw the desperation of, of X Men and why something like this would be necessary. Um, so if you were to read that, that's what you would get out of it. Um, but the biggest problem that I have with this kind of speaks to what you just said, which is that this is this is this is forcing something that comics already have solutions for. Uh, comics have built in solutions to the problem of continuity. And for whatever reason, DC, the, the brass, seem to think that they have to solve it in a hard way. And I don't agree. Uh, who cares what happened before House and Powers? Like, you could know, but you could also not know. And in this instance, it's not going to terribly impact your ability to read the book if you don't. Um that's that's not always true, but you can look to several different regime changes. Uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. Um, okay, when Thor was dead, and then J. Michael Straczynski brought Thor back, you don't really need to know how he died. You just need to know he was dead, and now he's not. And how he came back. It's the same thing exactly. with Green Lantern and Jeff Johns. Right. How, how Jordan, I mean. Exactly. I think that... And, and again, I, I personally believe this is more of a DC problem. They overestimate what the average reader needs to know to read a book and how often 
the lack of knowledge directly impacts whether or not someone is willing to buy it. I could see that with like Batman number 47 because there's 46 other books you didn't read. But if you want to read Batman and it happens to be the case that Scott Snyder's run is starting that week, I don't think that not knowing what happened 40 years ago is going to prevent you from buying that number one. I I think they're too concerned with the uh, nerds on message boards that I used to be fast forward 13 years ago that get really upset when things don't line up the problem is especially with dc they're really bad at lining things up anyway well and it's it's what we discussed with uh sandman and i assume you guys discussed it in swamp thing it's it's a thing of like continuity is a good thing when it's a hint at a world that's lived in but now it, people are so sticky about it, and DC is so sticky about it that they're you know they, they've hoisted their own Picard. All right. So, but to to build off that point though, right? Like, and and I'm not arguing one way or the other. I'm raising this question for the group. Like, do do you need continuity for a world to feel lived in? Because like we came into to Swamp Thing, and I don't know what happened before that to Sean's point, but I got the sense that there was history there because it was well-written or like, again, you know, I I made this kind of as a joke, but like think about like kingdom come, right? Like I walk into this book, it's new, but it doesn't feel new. It feels like lived in and it feels like the Superman that I know what, whoever that is to me as a reader has had his day and it ended and now here's what he's going through now. And it, materially, it doesn't matter whether you've read All-Star Superman or or watched the cartoon or whatever the fuck it is. Whoever Superman is to you, you pick up from here and move forward. And it's well-written enough that you, you jive with it, right? And, like, I wonder, I wonder how much that matters, right? Because it's like you ask the question of like with Batman, how many Robins have there been? Like, what does it mean? Blah, blah, blah. Look at like three Jokers. If three Jokers exists outside of continuity, right? Like they set up that it's these Jokers from these stories that you know, and Jason Todd is here, and this is the drama between them. And even if you don't know that history, it tells you what you need to know so that you can read and move forward. And like, I wonder how much how much will that breakdown of the existing system matter if writers can just do that anyway and just give us like, well, here are the players and here's what they mean to each other. And if you want that backstory or where I'm pulling from, these are the books that influenced me. You know, I'm acknowledging the killing joke or I'm acknowledging year one, whatever. Two, two points. So number one, you are referencing books that are written by the masters of the industry. So, sure. yeah, sure. <laughs> you could say that Alan Moore could do that. Grant Morrison can do that. Mark, Mark Wade, Wade can, do, can that. do that. Those are things that those creators are super talented at. You can't tell Jeff Johns anything he doesn't know about DC Comics. So he'll be able to pull that off. Not everybody is him and not everybody is Grant. There are a lot of creators who won't be able to do the things that you're saying need to be done in order to make that effective. And that's a problem. 
Um, obviously, you're always going to have an issue of talent in the sense that not every writer is going to be able to do what Tom King can do. But that's why Tom King does what he does. You know, they're not going to entrust um, the Rorschach story that they're doing now to any creator. And Just the creator of Heroes in Crisis. Well, hey, listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's, so that's my first point. My second point is that stories like Kingdom Come feel special because they're outside of the norm. When every story is trying to do that, but not every creator is Alex Ross and Mark Wade, what happens then? I'm not saying trying to tell the literal Kingdom Come story. I'm saying yeah, yeah, yeah. telling stories that are outside of continuity that try to feel special. Then they don't feel special. And now it's like, okay, so what do we really have here if every single year there's a new uh Wonder Woman story that blows up what happened before, not in a way of like, all right, that happened. Here's what's happening next in a way of like, that did not happen. Here's what's happening now. That's not the same thing. But like, do you think it has to be that way? Because like, because I, because I wonder, right? Like you think about, use the Wonder Woman example, right? Say that there's this, this run, and then we get to the next one, and it is kind of like more an- antho- um, anthological, right? Where it's like you pick up, and it's like, here's Wonder Woman, and we know who Wonder Woman is. Here's the next adventure. Like, runs between each other don't always communicate anyway, right? Like, you take it back to the X-Men thing. You could read the Rosenberg run and see how it informs what leads to Hoxpox. Couldn't you make that same argument about, like, runs between writers that are one after the other of like well this this was what wonder woman got out of this and taking it into this like you know this is how this character is you know interacting with this problem you could say that but for 15 years before house of powers the x-men continuity was very tightly wound sure so like and there are a lot of there are a lot of books you can point to where that is true where like uh, Daredevil continuity is tightly wound. Things matter that happened like a very long time ago. And you could you can still read it and you can still get something out of it. But if you understand what came before, it enhances what's happening now because they do reference things from X years ago. And the X-Men books we're reading right now reference things from X years ago. We don't always catch them if we're not inclined, but they're there, you know, like Jumbo Carnation. That was such a um, – he's the fashion designer. If you don't know who he is, all you know is that he's a fashion designer. If you know who he is and you read Grant Morrison's book, then his presence there adds so much more to his t- – to it. But um, couldn't you argue that that could work with these books too? No, because they're not referencing continuity. They're acting as if nothing happened. Like they're saying uh, – so, so again, it's like if you don't have continuity, then – did the Joker kill the Red Hood? Does that does that mm. factor when Batman and the Joker face, or did he did he kill Jason Todd? You know. And in the in the Jumbo Carnation example, you know the Hawks the in Hawkspox the Jumbo Carnation we met, assuming the the continuity is you know uh, the way DC wants it to be, the Jumbo Carnation in a Hawkspox could be me. Like exactly. it could it could be anybody exactly. But if you're picking and choosing the continuity, why why couldn't you just say that that is the one from that Grant Morrison run? 
Like, what? Why? Why do you have to disassociate them if that's the if that's the illusion? You you don't have to, but if if there's nothing, okay. Ah, uh, shoot! I had a I had a good example. Um, okay, you don't you don't have to. You could assume it's the like let's say let's say it's DC. You could assume that's the Jumbo Carnation from Grant Morrison's X Men, and all the things that happened to him in that book happened to him to that character. But right. Jumbo Carnation is a character who literally has one story. What about Gwen Stacy? What about Mary Jane? What about Alfred? Did Alfred die um, in uh, in Tom King's Batman? When you read whatever, whoever's writing it now? Because that matters. It matters if Alfred did died. Did Alfred die in Tom King's Batman? Yeah, he did. Spoilers. Oh, shit. Fucking fuck me. No wonder I don't like Tom King. <laughs> that, like, those, those are important things. And if the writer says, no, actually, that's not important. That doesn't matter. Then cool. Fine, it doesn't matter. But I, as the reader, also, have to figure that out. Well, that's... I also think... And I think that comes back to the talent thing, right? Yes, Where it's like, sure. you're going to have to mm. put that faith in the writer. But like, and maybe that's the answer to the problem, right? Is that like, there's less room for writers that don't have that ability with this kind of... Um, this kind of storytelling approach. But like, I think of something like Spider-Verse too, right? Where like, look at the opening scenes of Spider-Verse, right? Where they establish the Peter Parker who dies in the beginning of Miles's universe. They connect him to the Sony Spider-Man trilogy, but then they also connect him to like the the 90s cartoon and like elements of Amazing Spider-Man and all these other things that like again, like to me as a Spider-Man fan who knows about that shit, I'm like, "Oh, that's I yeah, I had that toy in the 90s. That's really cool." Or, "Oh, that's that scene from the movie." But if you don't know, it tells you what you need to know, it, you know, and, and it gives you that that groundwork so that you can move forward. It, it's like kind of anything else that seems to be happening in pop culture these days. There's this like kind of strange consensus of like the meaningful things that have happened in whatever media the last 40 years. And that's the stuff that is kind of absorbed through continuity of whatever medium. So like for Batman, it hits like all the primary story points that like a basic Batman fan would know and then ignores the rest in the 80s you know you go back and read frank miller's uh daredevil run for instance you know it it will you know weave through our established continuity as if every story that's taken place before has really happened but nowadays everything is so loose this just kind of feels like the next step where it's like okay you want to talk about continuity the continuity that we have is just the things that you probably already know about and we'll move on. But where are you seeing this looseness? Because I'm not seeing it and I read comics every single week. Well, I think a good example was that Bendis thing. It it kind of loosely referenced what happened with um, uh, uh, Gleason and uh, what's his name before uh, Bendis took over? I'm blanking on his name. Gleason did the art. Tomasi. Tomasi. Yes, Tomasi. But it was very loose with like kind of those story threads that were left off in Tomasi's run. Um, maybe these things. No, like, it used to be if a, if a if a book would reset at issue one, that's when we could presume that looser continuity based on what happened before. But I feel I feel like this is at least with DC um, when 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 a writer picks up after another writer they kind of just do what they want to do and loosely reference what happened before. 
So, one, I, I wanted to hit on this earlier, but since you brought it around, I think that's one of the important tools that Sean was talking about earlier. A writer who is just going to change it up and is going to ignore, like, DC has tools for that. Right. They've had tools for that for 50-some-odd years. And it's weird that they don't trust it anymore. Yes. The other thing... The other thing is this is also physically tangible in the front of literally every comic you can pick up on the stands is the previously on page. Sure. Where it tells you exactly what you need to know to pick up this book. Like. But to, to Phil's point, though, right? Like, because well, we... Because I think what's interesting about this conversation, right, is like we're darting back and forth with examples about how things worked like 40 years ago versus 15 years ago versus now. And like I think it used to be a little bit more clear, you know, and maybe that's just because there was less history and there was less, you know, um, like reboots and stuff like that, too. But like I do think that we've we've discussed and agreed that coming in as a new reader and understanding what matters and what doesn't isn't easy. Um, like I know, I know. Like when Hoxpox was was coming out, I had mentioned at the time. Like anecdotally, one of my coworkers who watched the X Men cartoon growing up was like, "I really want to read this X Men. What do I have to know?" And like, you didn't really have to know anything, but you also kind of do. And like that, that oh, we good? Okay. Um, I, th- I think that is kind of problematic. And I think, like, when you look at, like, Batman, and to Phil's point, right, like, what are, like, the most iconic Batman stories? It, it, it Not necessarily that they all happened outside of continuity, um, but, like, they're things that feel more self-contained. And I, I wonder if we might not be able to see, like, more of a return to kind of, like, Silver Age storytelling, where it is, like, more episodic. You know, and it is more like this time on Batman rather than previously. Now here's what's happening, you know, and like, I don't know, like I, I definitely hear what you guys are saying and I, I'm not, I'm not really sticking my flag in either camp. I just, I think the conversation is interesting of like, there's so many hypotheticals in terms of how writers will approach this and how much it'll matter um, that like. I don't know, like why why couldn't we see, you know, like a, like if there's multiple Batman books on the the rack at a time and they're all engaged with a different corner, a different time period, whatever, different rules. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know that one necessarily has to come at the total sacrifice of the other. And I'm I'm interested to see how that how that actually comes together in practice. Yeah, but building on that point, like I I don't think that it'll mean the continuity filled comics will no longer exist because I'm sure there's somebody who wants to tell that kind of story, whether or not they, um, whether or not they can manipulate the continuity in any effective way. Somebody's going to want to tell a story that has that longer continuity and somebody's going to want to tell a story where they don't, where they can pick and choose however they, they like. Um, and I think, to your point, Pete, I, I, as you were laying that out, I think that there is a, there is a like a DC initiative, especially in this, where I can see both of those things happening concurrently. Where, 
we'll have the one story that goes on for like two years that all references back to itself because that's a version of that kind of a story that these creators want to tell whether or not they switch arcs or teams or whatever have you but i think that that structure is viable both structures are viable in this scenario and you know what you're so right and how do we know this well dc has black label where they're already doing this or when they used to do Elseworlds. Or when they used to do Elseworlds. Or Young Animal. Or Young Animal. Or All-Star. Or Vertigo. In fact, the only time that I can think of where this didn't work in my lifetime was when they tried to force that on the mainline titles with the new yep. 52. Fair play. And that's that's my overall take on this is... I'll believe it when I see it, and I'm sure I'll be part of the the sales that shoot them back into the charts when they bring back continuity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in, I'm in the same boat. This feels like this feels pointless, um, and I I think it undermines the efforts in the black label space because now that doesn't feel relevant. But there is one last thing I wanted to add to this, um, and I know we gotta we gotta get into our reviews. But I read a rumor from Bleeding Cool a while ago, and I kept it in my back pocket. But it feels super relevant now. I read a rumor that DC is tightening their belt and will no longer be paying creators the top dollar that they're known for. Ooh, so shit! A big reason why creators like Grant Morrison and Tom King jump ship. From Marvel over to DC is because DC paid better. And I read that that will not be happening anymore. And that is why Scott Snyder is doing his own thing elsewhere. That's why Grant Morrison is leaving DC after uh, the Green Lantern Lantern season two. And I read that Tom King's last major DC run will be the Batcat stuff. Dude, Marvel's about to come up. <laughs> More? I I bet I bet we see Bendis leave too. <laughs> Imagine again. Okay, he, he so was. I guess was, there is a silver lining. <laughs> he well, he was making bank at Marvel. Yeah. Like and again, not to use uh, Pete's uh, overused journalism term term anecdotally. Uh, I uh, spoke with a um, uh, creator yeah, while I was in school. Who? <laughs> you you said it thirty t- thirty times in this fucking hey, st- segment. Hey. Don't. What do you want it. me to call it? Hey, at least circumstantial. Right. A conversation. Like, he didn't say continuity, con- continuity, or whatever he says. Can't even, <laughs> can't even replicate. No, yeah. I got razzed <laughs> on that YouTube it, video it. long enough. Continuity. Right. Continuity. Um. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Carry on. Uh, a creator that had worked uh, for Marvel at the time that Bendis did um, lives in the the town where I went to school. So one of the big draws of the comic book program in my school was to get to talk to this guy. He's a giant asshole. (laughs) But uh, he was saying that Bendis was pulling like $500 a page. Oh my god. That's uh and even even if that's uh you know exaggerated 
Like, think about the level of creator that Bendis is. That, right. Like it or not, he's top guy. That's why he was writing 7,000 books at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. right? Jesus Christ, you're making $500 a page. He's like, uh, yeah, I don't fucking Luke Cage walks down the street. There you go. Give me my money. DC's going to take that away? Mm-mm. He's going to walk his happy ass right back to Marvel. Yeah, or he'll go to Image. The reason yeah. I brought that up is because I I could see that this could be something that's related to that. Hey, we don't have access to the masters anymore. Let's make looser stories. Hopefully people show up for the fact that these are more accessible. And maybe, hey, we have Batman. Who cares who's writing Batman? It's Batman. Put whoever on it and let them tell the story that they feel like telling and let that be that. The problem with that is that we already saw that when Tom King's run was, you know, getting a lot of shaky reviews and people were unhappy, it was being outsold by Immortal Hulk, which never should have happened and was a direct result or a direct result of that was Tom King being taken off of Batman ahead of schedule. That shows you that no matter how much DC wants to act like their characters are Teflon and will sell no matter what, it ain't true. It's interesting to think, and this is my last thought on this, um, to think like maybe that is part of the reasoning too is like, okay, we're going to start paying less and offer more creative freedom where it's like, yeah, maybe I'll make less writing Superman or Batman, but I've always wanted to write this Superman story, so I'll do it and take a slightly, you know, a lesser payday than I could get at Marvel. And that's still a career maker. Right, exactly. If you write a great Superman or a great Batman story, that could give you the juice to then buy for a better contract at Marvel or go pick up, you know, uh, you know, go launch your image book with that heat or whatever. And like that that is an interesting uh, wrinkle to this conversation for sure. Well, uh, that is that's going to be a big deal, and I think a big conversation piece when DC does finally announce this change. If they announce this change, look for it to come after Future State for sure. Um, be very, very mindful of what DC says and does in the post Future State world. Um, and let us know if a continuity-less DC universe is a place that you want to live. Do you want to buy your books if you know that there is not going to be the same kind of stickiness that you're used to? Does that matter to you? Um, we want to hear it from you guys. So write in comicspalsgmail.com and uh, let us know your thoughts. Now we're going to jump into our reviews starting with X-Men number 14. This is chapter 12 of Ten of Swords. Uh, This is Hickman, uh, of course, with Mahmoud Azrar. And Lanil Yu is also credited um, because Marvel did some funny things with his artwork. Uh, Sonny Go on colors. Clayton Cowles is always on letters. And Tom Muller, the... Perfectly amazing designer of all of the infographics. So this issue sees us picking right up after the huge revelation in uh, Ten of Swords Stasis, where we learned that uh, Apocalypse's wife, Genesis, is still alive, that she actually didn't die, um, and that she just took on the 
mantle of a menth, the the helmet, and um, she switched sides. She switched sides. So this is just one big conversation, and we're kind of seeing. Um, and this is what I meant by Marvel doing funny stuff with the Neil Yu's art. We're seeing a lot of the stuff we've already seen, but from her perspective now. And so they actually reused a lot of Lanil Yu's art, uh, repurposed it, and we're seeing different angles to it. Um, as she explains, you know, her journey to, to, to joining, um, uh, the other side. And so what did you guys make of this chapter in the story? It was weak, man. Phil was already making a face about it, and I'm like, yup. It was weak. Because I was, I was really frustrated by this issue. Is this like... Like, I... Yeah, good, yeah, Well, very, very... I, I think I've been pretty pretty vocal about how I like the way things are going. I sat down to read this week these books, and I went, oh, fuck, all right, come on, let's let's go. Yeah, right. That That was my big takeaway, was like, I was sitting there reading it, and... It, it took me, like, probably a page or so before I realized that it was, like, the same thing I had already seen, like, entirely. Not just that it was, like... Because I, I figured it was going to be, um, oh, here's more to that story, right? Like, here here's more that, that context that you didn't have before. And, like, yeah, that's what it is. But, like, it's literally same pages, some of the same dialogue, like, some of the same exact wording and everything. And for this to be the third issue... That feels like it's like a let's go back in time and give you a big info dump about what happened. It's like really the third fucking issue of twenty two that's gonna do this. Like I didn't like yeah sure we got different angles and like at the very end you get context that's like much different and matters. But like fuck could we have skipped the first one then? Um, the, <laughs> the placement is weird. Usually when we have a revelation like this, why? I don't understand why we found this out last week that she's still alive and is on the other side. Like, why couldn't that wait a little closer to the climax? That should have been, like, a giant reveal, I feel like. But, fine. We chose not to do that. That's okay. So, the first half of her narrative is is a very much a, as you know, Apocalypse, we were married and we had kids. And it's like, bro... I guarantee he didn't forget that. My man, <laughs> my man sunk. Okay? Like, you're in him <laughs> forever. And, like, you're expositing this stuff he knows? Second half, okay, yeah, you're going into, like, how things changed. That's fine. But, man, why are, you, why are you expositing information at a character that knows all this? That's such hackneyed writing. Like, if we're going to do expository dialogue, at least make it, like at least tell it to someone who doesn't know all this like apocalypse knows all this secondly you've got to be more creative than than this and expositing all this information and i think it would have played better later you could have had it in the high octane like uh, uh, parts of the story and use it to slow down and space it out more like we're still we're still in the preliminary story we're in the prologue more or less still of the story and like I think it's it's made worse by the fact that it happens in X-Men again because like I I could understand having an issue like this if it was with the conceit of well you probably haven't read every issue of this so 
you know, maybe you missed the first time that this information was dropped. But it was like two or three issues ago in X-Men that we got this conversation between uh, Summoner and, and Apocalypse. Like, it's like, if you're only reading X-Men, you just fucking read this. Yeah. Well, and also, they're tell- with this event, if you want to follow this event, like, they have it mapped out for you so that you can follow it easily and get every single thing you need. But they're giving us the same thing three times. And, like, I would even feel differently about it if it was, like, a here's a recap of all of the things that happen in the side stories or whatever in case you're not reading them, right? Because then at least I could justify it and be like, this serves a purpose for a certain kind of reader. And it might not be for us because we're up on everything, but... Whatever. For me, it's like, who is this for? Like, what is this ad? Yeah, there's new information, but like, fucking don't give me all that information in X-Men 12 or whatever it was and give me it now. And it would be interesting. And it would be like, oh, the calm before the storm and this major reveal and oh my God. But now it's just like, we know all this fucking information. And I feel like we've been fucking twiddling our thumbs waiting for the goddamn fight to happen already. And we're still, and then there's another issue this week. That is, again, postponing the actual action that we've been building to for now 13 issues. Sean. And which we know will continue next Sean, week. what do you think? Um, I'm not surprised that you guys <laughs> felt so negatively about this issue. I definitely wasn't um, – I definitely was not as, as negative about this one. First of all, I don't agree that they showed us or told us the same stuff that we already know. Um, and I definitely don't agree that Apocalypse knew these things because he couldn't have known them. He knew some mm-hmm. of the stuff in the beginning of the narrative is what I'm He saying. knew the first two pages or so of the narrative. Um, from the point at which she talks about the lies that have been circulated about why he left, that's where every single thing is new. Um, and I was very interested in her journey, Genesis's journey, um, and how she got to have the Annihilation Helm, um, and why. I, I think it, it, it colors this story a little bit differently because she's not, this isn't what she wants to do. She's enthralled by the power of this helmet. And, um, I love that. And he's as to why the power of the pussy. <laughs> as to why this came now as opposed to later, this revelation like Phil brought up, I think it adds it adds um, a, a, a different dynamic going into the battle that Apocalypse is going to have to have. Is he willing to kill his wife? Um, that's a huge issue now because winning this is going to mean ending what he was fighting for. The reason he wanted to do this was for revenge for the death of his wife and to reunite the mutants. But as it turns out, his wife is alive and the mutants are down with what she's down for. So is he still as fervently willing to defend Krakoa and his mutants when his real mutants are on the other side of the battle? I think that's very compelling. Um, and if it, if it had come later, we wouldn't get that during the fighting um, that's presumably presumably coming in the next couple of issues. Uh, also, I really really liked some of the what I thought were allusions to how what happened on Araco 
is a re- not a reverse, but it's very similar to the story we've been following um, since House and Powers. So I'm going to point to a couple of things that uh, make me feel that way. Uh, Genesis talks about the uh, ideal, the ideal, um, who is a mutant prophet. I believe that that mutant prophet is an, an analog for Moira McTaggart. The mutant prophet says that uh, they saw the uh, it saw their defeat in the future, just like Moira saw the defeat of the mutants in their own timeline. That colored uh, the way that the mutants pressed forward um, on Araco, similar to how uh, the X-Men did different things because of Moira. Um, they also reference mutant breeding chambers or they were, they were, they were like genetically messing with mutants. They're, is, uh, having them breed with the demons or whatever, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is not the same, but it's similar to what Mr. Sinister ends up doing in House and Powers with the kennels. And that of course gets taken over by, um, well, he betrays them. And that gets taken over by um, Nimrod. So I really liked those elements of it too, where it felt like, you know, it's kind of like, it's like poetry. It sort of rhymes. (laughs) It's Star Wars. Star Wars thing. (laughs) Um, Also, finally, before I turn, I really, really like the conversation where we're actually seeing Apocalypse and Genesis together. I really like the conversation because she clearly still feels for him, but she really just has to do what she has to do. And he doesn't want the smoke, but he also kind of knows what he has to do. I like he's like, it's not yours to take, my love. We have built something there for all mutants. That includes our children and you. And she's like, basically like, yeah, that's cool, but you guys are soft. Yeah. It's not going to survive. You're a man of peace? How far are you fallen? (laughs) You are a weak-ass bitch. Look at the, look at, compare Krakoa and Arako to each other. Look at the development of Krakoa. Krakoa was developed as a safe haven. Arako was a world of war. It's, it's so perfect and beautiful how this was put together. I love it. It's a bizarro Krakoa. Is basically yeah. what's happening here. Yeah. We're not so different, you and I, except we're the opposite. Marco, how about you, man? Um I yeah, I, I agree with a lot of what you laid down. I, I, I like this issue. I, I I do think that um it adds a lot of uh, it, it adds a, a larger twist to the story that we were initially told um in the previous issues. And I think to your point, it's compelling that Genesis switches sides because she's looking out for the best interest of her mutants the same way that that uh, Apocalypse is. And w- what do you do when those two forces have to end up meeting because they're just doing what needs to be done and that's something that Apocalypse has always been about. He's he's just there to, to uh, push forward his, what he thinks is ultimately correct and he does it by any means. But this is literally his wife, somebody that he's loved and has a relationship with, and it's deep, 
And what do you what does he have to do now to combat that? Especially considering she's coming at him with the same force. And and she and he's grappling with his relationship with her, whereas she's obviously not necessarily moved on, but she's wrestled with the fact of what has to be done and he's still in the process of doing that. Yeah, like her resolve is is there. Yes. Right? Like she's ready for the next step, whereas like he's still uh, in the conversation that Sean referenced, right? Like he's still trying to like argue with her, right? Like he's like, you can fight it. We don't have to do this this way. Like we can still come together or whatever. And she's just like, nah, like that, 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 that is no longer an option. Yeah, right. That's what ultimately this story is going to be. Um, I'm not saying that this issue had no purpose. I'm just saying it probably could have been delivered better. But what this story is ultimately going to be about is. You know, it's got to test Apocalypse's resolve. He's been questioned by readers since uh, Hoxpox number one. Uh, can we trust Apocalypse? Has he, you know, why is he here? And now his resolve is going to be tested. Is he truly a villain that's going to lead to, you know, the end of Krakoa as we know it? Or, you know, is he good? He's a wild card. So that's what he's our he's our central focus in all this. And I think he's also like, like, can he trust himself? Because he he was so convinced that this is the path that he had to go down. Like, this was the information he had. He was sure. And now he's like, well, wait a minute. I, I have to rethink everything. Like, the, the purpose for which I was trying to, uh, for what this mission was for, is now that's been thrown out the window. So, like, what do I do? How do I pivot? How do I figure out what I actually need to be doing in order to attain, attain my end goal? And what even is that end goal now? This is the yeah, I mean, to, to me, I feel like this is going to be the completion of his face turn. Yes. You know, where it's going to be the the death of of his old family, the sacrifice of, of his old family and his old goals for the new future that he um, has been key in creating for mutant kind. Like, and to me, uh, that panel that Sean called out, like when he goes, I, we, he sees himself as one of them. You know, he sees the the mutant people of Krakoa as his people in the same way that he saw the people of Arako as his people before, you know? And I think that's going to be the major takeaway from this entire conflict. And I think that he's, uh, like, like everything that, that Hickman's been writing about Apocalypse and, and, like, all the characterization is leading up to he's obviously going to make the call in favor of I think in favor of the new mutants because he grew up in a place of war. He understands what war does. He 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 understands the the downsides of it. And this new world that he's built in Krakoa, where he has put down the sword, where he is finally trying to reach another like I guess level in society or create some sort of society idealistically. I think that he's not afraid to sacrifice his his family for that. I, I'm also I'm really compelled, and I I hope they they play on this, the fact that um, this is Genesis, but it's also not. Like, she's controlled by the Annihilation Helmet. Yeah, she has to do this. It's the will of the Helmet, not necessarily her will only and it works because she's clearly the person who who has the you know survival of the fittest mentality um the way that apocalypse was always shown to have she's the one who really has that 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 thought process 
Um, and she always has, but her wanting of, of Krakoa, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like, um, a, 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 a nihilist, a nihilist, where, yeah, he's got the cosmic control rod and that's what controls the, the horde. And if that, if he didn't do that, if that wasn't a thing, they would just raise the universe. And it's similar to this, the Amenthi demons, where if there is no one who's wearing the helmet, then that's what will happen. And so she's in this, she has this responsibility now of keeping these demons in line. But what's really happening is that she kind of wants the same type of destruction that they do. And I, I'm, I'm really intrigued by how that's going to play out. Is that an analog? Is she an analog instead of being an analog of Apocalypse? Is she an analog of Xavier? Think about exactly what you just said, Sean, about her cool, her cool hat <laughs> and how Xavier now has a cool hat. And all throughout this, this history that's being revealed to us from uh, Genesis' point of view, uh, and what her cool hat does. That's what Cerebro has always done for mutants with Xavier. And he's the person that has to sort of keep them in line because he's got the cool hat. It makes me wonder as well, since we're, you know, since I'm on the subject of analogs, what, what will Araco do in this war to either be with Krakoa or see that they're not the same anymore. You know, we both we know that Krakoa and Arako are fighting, are trying to fight to be together, but similar to Apocalypse and Genesis, are they on the same wavelength still or I think so to answer your last question first, I think that Krakoa and Arako are on the same page. Arako doesn't. Arako seems like it's almost like the only part of this that it's down for is the reuniting with Krakoa. I don't think Arako mm. really cares about anybody else. That's whatever anyone's doing. If yeah, if I recall, it was kind of upset about uh, her voice or whatever. Was crying. I can't recall. Yeah, yeah, about her voice taking up the battle, or, or seem seem to be. Yeah. Um. So so that's my answer to that. But the other thing you were you were taught. Same. Sorry. Same with Krakoa and Cipher. Right. Exactly. Yes. Totally. And to your to your idea of Genesis being Xavier. Well, okay. So um, Xavier's approached by Moira with a doom, a doomsday, um, you know, future. Uh, Genesis is approached by Idil with a doomsday future. Uh, both of them put on a helmet that they don't really ever take off. Uh, she, she teams up with her enemies to prevent the end of mutant kind. She sacrifices what she believes in for this, for this, to prevent the end of mutants. Professor Xavier gives up on his dream of human and mutant coexistence in order to preserve mutant life. Um, uh, Genesis, the mutants of Araco accept 
this new world order the same way that the mutants of Krakoa accept Professor X's idea of what they have to do for the future. So I see a lot of um, similarities there. Well, and I think to like adding to that, if there is a, uh, if a menth is the driving force behind what is going on with um, Genesis and Araco, then is it possible? Because Cerebro has some sort of like nanotechnology and it has um, what is the the technological society stuff that yeah, pops up? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, is that yeah. then potentially what the technarchy maybe somewhat has like invaded Cerebro and is the evil force or the driving force that is then pushing whatever uh, Xavier's agenda is currently? So, uh, in the part of the issue where uh, it talks about where she goes to, where she uh, goes to the uh, 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 the Ivory Spire, uh, the stronghold of the long lost White Sword, purity, mutant purity. That's what the the technarchy in the the far flung future is trying to get, right? Uh, in the next page, they say to say that the millennia that has passed changed him, being the the guy that has the white sword, whose name I, I can't. Think that the is dude who name. leads the hundred warriors of yeah, Morocco. Uh, to say the millennia that had passed changed him is to sound like a fool. The death and resurrection cycle he lived each day had become his religion. To to us, he was as alien as the horde he raged against, and we the same to him. I I came into this conversation prepared to talk about this exact thing, and I totally forgot the white sword, his part of this. Yes, absolutely. The white sword is the system of resurrection that exists on Krakoa, which is fueled by Xavier. The white sword is that, absolutely. That's and that's why I love this issue so much because it it it's 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 now expanding on the story by adding Krakoa and kind of saying okay Krakoa is a what's going on on Araco rather is a version of everything we've already seen the mutants going through that are now in Krakoa. I think that's so awesome. One one um one thing that I was thinking of when from based on what Kale brought up there is um it's interesting to me that like it there are obviously all these parallels but I think a lot of them are like these kind of like weird mirror like twisted mirror images of each other because the comparison you brought up between Charles and um uh oh my God what's Genesis thank you uh Genesis talks about how she doesn't heed the warning, right? And that, like, she's arrogant about it and, like, perceives their strength as being more than whatever obstacle that they could face. And you see Charles make the opposite decision, mm. right? This time. But, like, this wait, time, right. Wait. Yes, this time. But even, even more than that, one of the underlying storylines is that Professor Xavier and Magneto 
are arrogant about the fact that mm. they are they feel like they're the ones who have created everything that's happening now and the success is due to them and Mora felt alienated. That's from that's something that's specifically referenced in House and Powers. She she writes the um the infographics and she talks about the arrogance of those men. Yeah. And that she believes that that will ultimately lead to their downfall. It's the same thing. Hmm. I, yeah. I, it isn't that I didn't like the content of this issue. Uh, the net, Marauders is what I had the bigger problem okay. with. Uh, but, like, I this fell, I think, to what Pete was saying, this fell in a place where I'm like, fuck, okay, let's go. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think that's, that's where I'm at with this is just like, uh, it is tremendous. Uh, and especially since we're talking about it and putting all this stuff together, like I did enjoy the content and I did see a lot of the, the stuff that was there. Did you guys see the, the, crosses Baxes. those are like morlock crosses where there's an old x-men story where like uh wolverine or some or someone is crucified on one of oh, those yeah, same. i don't when did that happen in the story uh it's a flashback oh oh yeah yeah, yeah 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 i got it yeah these okay like the cross things yeah yes yeah Oh. Um, anyway, that's interesting. Uh, um, it's funny because I I definitely agree with what you're putting down there, Kale. Where like reading this issue, like I was frustrated by it, and I I like it more after this conversation. <laughs> nah, it was so mediocre. Well, so I, I agree, I liked it, but <laughs> yeah, I liked it as I was reading it. But uh, you know, again, like it's it's like we were saying, like I would like to be moving now. Let's go. So. The only, the only downside I felt for this issue was that this speaks to what I was saying, what I've been saying, whereas I feel like this event is too long. This is a great issue, in my opinion. It's a tie-in issue. It is not a main line um, issue. You don't, you don't need to know every single detail about why she's doing this. You need to know that she's alive and she's on the other side. Yeah, I, that's you a thousand percent how I feel. You can easily this issue is skippable if the most important thing to you is getting to the meat. You don't have to read this. And in an event, there should not be any issues that are that are numbered issues of the event that are skippable. That's bad. You cannot have a 22 issue event where at this point for me, if you were asking me how many of these issues were like you need to see them like six of them, X-Men, X-Men creation, X-Men stasis. Um and uh the probably the last yeah one. the last <laughs> X Men destruction yeah. or whatever so far I don't think anything we have read is you need to read this or you cannot understand the story I just don't but is this like for Hickman do you not think an issue like this is the meat um no because none of the events that Hickman has spearheaded have had issues like this. Secret Wars did not have issues like this, and um, Infinity did not have issues like this. 
And both of those events were under 10 issues. I believe. Yeah, I guess it's just like for how much how much room there is, it feels like we should be doing more with it. They added this was originally a I believe a 15 issue event before huh. COVID. They added somewhere in the realm of seven issues. And I can feel yep. the stuffiness. The padding. Yeah. As far as art, normally we, you know, we dive into the art as well. A lot of this is stuff that we've actually already seen. And so we've already credited Lanil Yu for how great he is. Um, and there's no reason for us to go over it again. The did that go ahead. did that bother anybody? The reuse of the art, I honestly didn't notice. Um, I knew going into it, but I didn't care because it was it's 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 you know I thought it was a cool thing where you're seeing something you already saw, but here's but you didn't really know what you were looking at, and I yeah. had a better idea. Yeah, same. It was like recontextualized, so I, I I thought it was fine. I think it contributed to the exhaustion that I felt in this issue. You know, I think like the mm-hmm. the complaint that that it seems like mostly Phil and I are are lobbing at it, like where I'm just like, uh, okay, like we're spinning the tires again. Great. Yeah, I've seen this before. I know. I get it. And like, yeah, there's new information and new context that is important to the story. So I don't want to say that it's like meaningless, but I think I think I would have probably enjoyed it more if there was new art to go with it too, where it was like, oh, like the story you got before wasn't really the story and here's what it really was. And like getting actual different looks at it, I think might have made me feel a little bit less fatigued by it. Hmm. All right. Well, let's let's talk about um, a book that did not <laughs> rehash art. Uh, let's get into Marauders 14. Pog or Pog. <laughs> hey, Phil, Phil, Phil. Pog, easy. It, it, you'll get your meal. Okay. So <laughs> this this issue is basically the calm before the storm. Uh, no pun Again. intended. Again, yes. Uh, it's sort of the staging of everything before the big tournament kicks off. We get to see... Again, the sword bearers of Arako <laughs> and the sword bearers of Krokoa interacting. Again, um, well, no, that this is the first time. Well, actually, all right, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair. You're right. You're right. Together, um, that's fair. And so it's kind of fun. You know, there are some interesting conversations. Pog or Pog and magic. Not a parent. I thought I needed, but uh, now I realize how mistaken I was. Um, it's the next big tumbler ship. Right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> this issue does have some pretty important things in it, but I think we're about to have a conversation similar to the last one. Uh, how did you guys feel about this? This one is okay. I differ really? from Kale. This one is okay. I think a calm... I agree. I think a calm before the storm is totally fine. Um, Another one? Well, this one doesn't... This one is okay, because... There's new information and new things happen. Yeah, and and it's interesting <laughs> to see the the representatives of Araco kind of intertwine now with our representatives from Krakoa. Like this, this makes them feel like people. Okay, like oftentimes in a tournament story, you know, the people that are facing off with our heroes are often just you know villains with no real background. 
we don't really have a ton of background now, but they actually feel like you know they have motivations and they're people and, and stuff like that. So uh, it's a, it's not really an anything issue, but I think of all the calm before the storm issues we've had, this one feels more the most narratively satisfying. Also, Pog or Pog. Yeah. So this was. Go ahead, Amen. Pog or Pog. Uh, this one was okay. I. I it's interesting because like I feel. I feel like the last issue was more of that, and this was more of like a filler. This is a filler for sure, but it's okay. Yeah. Is all I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought it was. But yeah. Can we it, just it was, not use the word okay anymore? It's today. fine. Look, it's, it's fine. okay. Okay. It's okay. Okay, Sean, we can. It, it was. It, <laughs> it, <laughs> okay. It was fine in that like things happen that relate <laughs> that like like relate to the. Um, yeah, I gotta break out the theosaurus here. <laughs> it that they they relate back to like the stuff that's been going on um, in uh, overall with Saturnine, and I feel like that was repeated because we get that she has an ulterior motive. We we're still trying to figure that piece out. Um, yeah, this issue didn't spark as much interest as as. Um, the the previous one like sh- sure we learn small details about they're trying to strategize and they're trying to prepare for the fight but i don't think it's consequential or maybe not yet at least so uh, i don't i don't disagree with anything you said but i think this like just speaks to my sensibilities a little bit more and like what i want out of a story like if something's going to be filler i'd like it to be character driven because, like, sure, you can argue that outside of the last page, um, nothing of consequence happens in this issue. But, like, to the point that Sean alluded to, like, there are fun character moments. You get to see characters who have never interacted before interact. You get to see characters who we literally only know through the context of, like, promotional material and then, like, one-issue appearances where they have about a, a page worth of dialogue max get to have conversations and like understand a little bit more about who they are and how they see this, this, you know, this competition and all that stuff. Because I think, um, without issues like this, you're going to go into the tournament and it's going to just be like the character that we know and like versus some mook. And like, that's not as interesting. That's why I'm pumped down. Um, so to me, like, getting a little bit more time with like pog where we're like oh yeah we like pog he's funny he's cool or whatever like i don't know about that um but it, it gives it to me anyway it makes me feel like there's more skin in the game and it's it's the same uh it's the same kind of criticism that like i remember reading a ton of um in the back matter of like walking dead where it's like, nothing happened this issue. Everybody's just standing around talking. And it's like, right. But then when one of them dies, that means something, you know, rather than just being a body that a guy we already like is going to fight, you know, like, what is that? Who cares? Right? Because the ultimate takeaway, I think we can all probably agree, is that Krakoa will probably win. And that, you know, Apocalypse will probably have to choose his new family over his old family, and that's the narrative meat. So then why are we going to read eight issues of them fighting if we if we don't care mm. about who they are or what... You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it to me, this gives... It makes there be more stakes and more skin in the game rather than um, 
the last issue, which to me is like it's a different. It felt like almost like a different kind of filler, where it's like it feels like a bottle episode, where it's like let's reuse this old matter and recontextualize it so you get more information, but we don't really have to do that much. Whereas this, yeah, nothing moves forward or happens, but at least it's fresh. At least it's like beats that I haven't seen or like anticipated yet. Going into this issue, I didn't think it was going to be the dinner that they all go to before the the, the tournament, right. you know? So that gave me moments that were unexpected, particularly the ending. So, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, the other thing that came out of this for me was a new ship. Oh, and, no. Uh, I'd like to present... Oh, no. I'd like, you I'd like, I actually touched it and it moved the thing. I'd like to present... I see... Wait. I see magic, and I... Who's she talking to? The cable? Oh, wait. No, uh, cable. Hold on. It should be this. What is, You're fucking blowing this, man. Marco's Jeopardy all over again. <laughs> there it is. There's the ship. Fuck. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God this is the third time. Right, what are I'm, you doing? I'm going to salvage this moment. Are we... All right. What do you got? That's the ship. Oh, okay. Remember that this is a podcast. That was guys. worth it. It's, it's, uh, that was Captain, worth it. No, Captain Avalon and Wolverine. That was worth it. I don't know. Okay. That was ship. Um, I don't know that it was. Incredibly Sean, what are you going to say before this podcast was derailed? <laughs> so, to me, this issue is not as good as X-Men 14, but it is relevant. It does feel like... And, like, if this were an event that didn't have 22 issues, this would be an issue that belongs because it's furthering the yes. narrative um, in a material way. And that's what we have needed. Um, on the Stasis review, we talked about the fact that these sword bearers of Araco don't have um, personalities yet that we're aware of. This issue did a great job of furthering that for, you know, enough of them that I'm developing care. And that's the best thing I can say about this issue. Um, that it does that. That's a, that's a very important element. Um, I really appreciated Matt seeing um, <laughs> Magic and um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Gorgon. Gorgon. Oh, with the glass? Oh, yeah. Because they are they're not similar in any way but the fact that they both love to fight and they're very, very good at it. So seeing two characters who otherwise wouldn't connect connect on that level I thought was compelling and that and everybody kind of tri- trying to figure out like what's the weakness of, 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 of each different character um, was really cool. And the interaction between them and um, Is- Iska was so great where they're trying to figure out which hand she favors. Yeah. And they drop their glasses like, come on, man. And she just punks them. <laughs> and she completely punks them. Not a drop and she film. knows what they were trying to do. And it and it didn't work. And then such a subtle moment. Obviously, earlier in the issue, Magic and Pogger Pog have um, a little bit of interaction. And OTP. Um. OTP. Once repairing. And um, <laughs> Pogger Pog is a rhymer. And so when Iska tries to drop the glasses back on them, she says, "There's no such thing as going low with someone from Limbo." So. She rhymed. Um, I just love that small little moment. That's what lovers do. Uh, they just <laughs> right. they rhyme. It's like poetry and lovers. It rhymes. 
<laughs> so and like that like that's a great example, right? Like this is a character who we've now seen like three times. And literally the only defining characteristic that I could say about her was that she was Genesis' sister and that her power is that she can't lose. Okay. Now I got a sense of who, what her personality is. Yeah. Um, exactly. Are we Are we not, are, you know, are we sure Saturnine and Emma Frost aren't the same character? Have we ever seen them <laughs> in the same room together? We haven't. But I'm really <laughs> aggravated because, again, I feel like... She's, she's too short. Too short. <laughs> well, and and again, she's drawn exactly like any incarnation but of Emma Frost. Like it does. Look at the, look at the page where uh, where Wolverine stands up. He's not shorter than her. He's like five four. Yeah, she's like that's she's a Har- Harlem Globetrotter. She's like six nine. <laughs> yeah, dude. She could dribble yeah. him like a ball. I mean, could it she's just be nine, that she's, six just, in my book. she's just changing her size randomly? Like, uh, I think it's just some artists get it and others yeah. don't. Um, they don't understand the appeal of their own character. So with uh, the conversation <laughs> between... <laughs> Sean's like, I love giant women, okay? <laughs> and I never Barda. had before. I'm, oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, you're right. I do love Big Barda. Yeah, those are two of my favorites. Well, and She-Hulk. Oh, yeah, yeah. Gigantress. true. Now, yeah. now, 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 name three That's more. Right. Giant, giant tigress. Well. Stature. <laughs> Stature. Great one. Thanks. What were we going to say? The conversation between Wolverine and Captain Avalon. I am so happy. That was good. That Wolverine said what has been on my what mind. Everybody was thinking. <laughs> since, the, since it occurred, Captain Avalon is an asshole. <laughs> Why? Why did he not for the team, buddy? Why did he not just get with Saturnine? His wife. That's because because I said some people take their vows seriously, That's guys. Dumb as hell, bro. His wife ain't buying it. Of, the the fate of the world is at stake, and you're gonna go ahead and stand on morals. Wolverine is the man, and I don't even like Wolverine, but he is completely correct. That was dumb. Yo, Captain Avalon goes to his wife and he's like, honey, the fate of reality was at it. Okay, Jamie, you sleep in the doghouse tonight. <laughs> Brian. Whatever. Brian. I can't. I can't imagine saying that my to wife. my wife. Yeah? Well, I can't imagine the fate of the world resting on whether or not I screw a six foot nine woman. But if I'm in that position, I'm taking one for the team. <laughs> <laughs> That's because she's six I, foot nine, though. I did. Yeah, yeah. If no, she's no, if she's no. only uh, five four, then Sean's not That's taking right. one for the team. <laughs> no, we do what we have to do in times of crisis. I did. Uh, I did like how <laughs> when he can confronts uh, confronts him about it, that he like contextualizes it through the younger mutants. That was good. Um, I, I like that a lot because that that felt very true to Wolverine's character for me. You know that like. That's ultimately what he's all about, you know, is like... The young people. Yeah, right. Is that like he kind of already is like, I'm, you know, I'm fucked. Like, I'm a lost cause. Like, I've experienced all the pain and all the... Like, it's not about a better life for me. It's about a better life for them. Whoa, wait, guys. Do you think Kale is the Arakan Wolverine? He's... They're both old grandpas. But unlike (laughs) Wolverine, Kale says the young people can go fuck off. (laughs) Kale doesn't love anyone. My man... (laughs) My man, you know Wolverine says that in public. 
he doesn't want he doesn't want them around him either. He just he's glad they're over there. He's glad they're having a good time. Let me drink my beer in peace. That's what Wolverine wants. That's what okay, I so want. You are calling Wolverine. Uh, listen, you said it. <laughs> Bob, so let's let's talk about one more scene before we get into the big finale. Um, so towards the the end, um, Stor- or Storm is is having a dance with Death, and in the pale moonlight. <laughs> that's a dance with the devil. But, uh, <laughs> decent. Ah, six of one. Decent attempt. Um, and this is one of the covers that we saw uh, much earlier on. And that was at the time when we thought Storm was was in the role of what of what Genesis ultimately is. We yeah. That was how they swerved us. Mm. So we didn't know what context um, this dance would be happening in. But now we do. And it was good. I, it was it was all right. It was good. Hey, don't don't make a lick. Huh? It don't make a lick? Is that it, what you it, said? It don't make oh, a sense. lick. Okay, Texas. Yeah. Of sense. Yeah. That was the No, at first I thought I thought you said it don't make a lake, and I was like, well yeah, it wasn't a lake. They were in the ocean. Yeah, dummy. right. That was where I thought we were going. <laughs> uh no, I didn't get it. Genuinely, I didn't get it. Um I I thought it was fine. It it felt like kind of like um like a, it, it kind of reminded me of some of the more cerebral stuff in like Swamp Thing cerebral. or um yeah like Cerebro, uh or or even like um uh Sandman where it like felt like it was supposed to be, it felt like it was supposed to be this like big moment that like had all these layers and it just like felt like a little bit weird. It felt off to me. Yeah, that's 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 what I mean. Like uh, my critique isn't oh I didn't get it. It legitimately I don't get it. Like what what is the point of what's happening I here? I think the the point is that Storm is is establishing that she's not afraid. Afraid. Yeah. She's not scared in this situation. Um and I think that's important for a character whose fate has really been in limbo in a lot of ways. You know, like I just said, we thought she was going to switch sides. She was um, infected by the techno, or the, the the tech virus, not the techno organic virus, but some kind of tech virus, and we didn't know what was going to happen. And here she faces down death once again, as she has so many times, and she don't blink. And I really appreciated that aspect of this of this meeting between them. I don't think it was a revelation, but I do think that it gives us. A conversation between two characters who definitely needed more development. Obviously, Death needed it. We don't know who the hell he is. And Storm needed it because she has been underserved. And, um, you know, we need to know where she's at in her mind right now. And clearly, she has the resolve to get this done. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. The Death was trying to, uh, intimidate and she's just flexed and she's like, fuck, fuck you. Like, fuck off. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Was it? Yo. See, I thought it, I thought it was interesting because I didn't even get the sense that Death was trying to intimidate her. Because who's the uh, the flamehead one? War, war, war. I remember like in that first interaction with them, like War is kind of like trying to big time them or whatever, and she's just like, nah, like I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. And I feel like when they have the dance or whatever, I feel like Death is more like intrigued by her. Then, then they are trying to like start shit. Sex you know? and death go together. 
it, sorry? Sex and death go together. Yeah, man. They're having two conversations at once. Sure, sure. There's a lot of innuendo involved. And if I'm not mistaken, yeah. was it in Stasis where her tar- her tarot card was death, right? Yes. yes. So, yep. like, there's there's something, like, this is a plot thread, you know? Mm-hmm. And it might this- have a creation. Stasis, she was leading an army. Yeah, but didn't it say death on it or something? On her card, it said death. I think yeah. so, yeah. Did it? Okay, yeah. and sorry. Yeah, this is a th- it's not, I don't think this is meant to be flowery or, or anything like in a Sandman or whatever. I, I, I just think this is a plot thread because I think we're going to eventually see a payoff with Death and Storm. I don't know where it's going, but I I, I thought it was good. Um, this was a real good to everything Sean's saying, this is a good character moment for both these characters to shine. Um, and it's also weird uh, Dogman and flirting with Storm. I don't know what that's about, but that's okay. <laughs> so let, let's get in. I get that Let's reference. get into the end here. Um, Kale's a furry. They sit down to eat and uh, Wolverine's sitting next to War. She um, she uh, roofies him and yeah. he, but he don't care. He gets up to speak to Saturnine, and he's angry because I thought you were six foot nine. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were nine foot six. He's angry with her for a really good reason, and I'm again yeah. so glad that Wolverine is speaking the truth here. Like, why is she letting this happen? This doesn't need to happen. Um, she can do anything. Why is she playing these games with their lives? It reminds me so much of the the Beyonder from Secret Wars, mm-hmm. where it's like this is completely ridiculous, and she's not that far above them. No, she's not the Beyonder. In in she needed Captain Avalon. She wants him as a protector. If she still needs a protector, she ain't the Beyonder, and she doesn't have the right to act like this. And Wolverine wants to stop this whole thing, and he stabs her. Twice in the chest. Hell yeah. It it makes so much sense when you're someone like Wolverine, who's just been through hell and back, literally in this story, to be the voice of reason, to be like, this shit's insane, it does not have to be like this. Who whom among us, other than those that have seen the throes of battle firsthand, to realize how much of a massacre like that that is coming is as unnecessary as it is, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, I was, I mean, I was surprised. Um, I knew, well, this issue earlier on, it made it pretty clear that Wolverine wanted to kill her. But I was surprised that he was actually able to, to we don't know if she's dead. That's what I mean. But he was she able get, to. She keeps getting pumped. Did someone just fart? <laughs> Unless there's an airplane in my oh. Zoom. Sorry. Okay. That's <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, I, well, I don't know. Like. To your point, Phil, like, yeah, it depends on what happens next, right? Like, if she's actually dead, sure, yeah, I would I would agree with you, but, like, she probably won't be, no. and I'm sure that there yeah, will be consequences yeah. for that action. And Y'all y'all see the cover of Marauders 15? No, no I haven't it, Is it her grave? <laughs> uh, no spoilers. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I didn't, I, I don't still feel that way necessarily that she's like been too depowered um just because we'll see what actually happens here but uh i i did really appreciate that and i think that throughout this issue um because benjamin percy co-wrote this one right yeah it was ben percy and uh jerry duggan yeah um i i just feel like benjamin percy really gets wolverine yeah and like i i i think the characterization of him throughout this issue is is really strong 
um, because this is exactly how I believe he would act in this situation, you know, and that like for someone whose life is so defined by violence um, that he is in the position of, like Sean said, being the voice of reason and trying to like curtail needless, you know, um, loss of life and, and, you know, like this, like kind of like weird bloodlusty competition, you know, he's like, he's like, fuck that. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a gladiator here. Like, fuck that. You know, like I'm trying to protect people. The children. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that this was a, a perfect moment. I don't know. If I mean, I, I definitely was banging that drum to um, where I felt like she was devalued by the Captain Avalon interaction a few issues ago. I think here um, she's too powerful to die to Wolverine. Um, I just don't believe that she's dead. I think this is more, you know, it's a shock. It's a surprise. Um, I think it sets a tone. Um, and... She now has no reason to support or protect the X-Men in any way. Um, so I wonder how this is going to affect her. Because she's still the biggest wild card in this whole story. What do you think the significance of the roofie is? Like, Do you think that that was just to show us that they were trying to cheat? Or do you think that's actually going to come back around? I kind of think it's the former that they're trying to that it's trying to show that it's going to be dirty uh because like he didn't eat he's like, not going to sit it, back you know, down and eat after this right <laughs> this yeah this should this he stabs her immediately after the roofie so like he's already unhinged i actually feel like it's going to be exactly what you said pete i think she he is gonna sit back down because i don't think saturnine is affected by this i think she's gonna get right up tell him to know his place he's gonna sit his ass and he's gonna eat that food and he's gonna be roofied and then you know shenanigans that's what i believe okay I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, that's that's why I wanted to just see what everybody thinks because I I'm not sure what I think is going to happen in regard to that. Um, here's yeah. a controversial opinion. I think this was the best issue of Marauders <laughs> ever <laughs> of all fourteen. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I don't. I don't know that I agree, but I like this issue, so let's chill. <laughs> I, I, I did. I did. Issue was. I did finish it and think like. This really didn't need to be a Marauders issue. Like, this had nothing to do. Like, I guess it's because Storm is, like, the technically the main character of it, I guess. But, like... Again, this event is silly. This should just be... Tennis. Its own thing. It should be its own thing, right? There's no yeah. reason for it to be... This to be a Marauders issue. Um, like, I would be fine if they kept the... Uh, the stories about them getting the swords... To their own, like, oh, these are the tie-ins if you want to see how they got the swords or whatever. But, like, yeah, I'm with you in that. Where, like, it feels super weird to be, like, telling these across all these books. But then, like, d like this doesn't feel like a Marauders issue in any way. No. It's, I mean, it's, it's – the only person who's a part of the Marauders who is relevant is Storm. And she's certainly not the first or second most relevant person in this book so like this could have just as easily been a wolverine <laughs> yeah. issue um as far as the art goes i think that 
Uh, it's cool. You know, we've talked about how a lot of the art of, across the spectrum of Xbox is the same, or at least very samey. And I don't think that this breaks the mold in any way. Um, I think that the shortness of Saturnine, like the joke of it aside, is actually a problem. They need to figure out how tall she is and let her be that. It's really weird that she changes height every single time they show her. Um, we've talked a lot about our issues with Caselli and Delgado um, on the art and colors, respectively. Um, I don't feel like this issue necessarily changed how I feel. I still think Storm looks a little weird, and I don't understand what is the the problem. Like, why can't they get her right? It's very the- strange. The second page, I thought, was the worst drawing of Storm I've seen in this entire era. Um, Where she says, you are mistaken. It must be something else you smell. That face is fucking weird and ugly. Like, it's just gawky and awkward. Well, dude, if you smelled something that bad, your face would be ugly, too. She's just like... <laughs> yeah, but you've been in his office. <laughs> it's true. Um, panel wise, I don't really feel like they did anything outside of the box. Everything was pretty, um, everything was pretty like pedestrian from a panel perspective. Uh, the panel where Storm and Death are dancing and you can see the mermaids behind them. That panel was kind of cool. Um, so, you know, some, some moments like that, but I, you know, I don't really feel like anything was particularly, um, noteworthy or stand out from an art perspective here. Yeah. I do like um, I do like this team's portrayal of Wolverine. Like I thought he he looks good. That 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 struck me. But um, <laughs> I I did end up walking away the way I, I think I felt a lot about a lot of these issues. Where like you see the cover and I'm just like, can we give Russell Dodderman one of these fucking books already? Like what the fuck? Russell Dodderman is so good, and like the few times that. Uh, he's gotten an entire issue. They've been just a, an absolute treat. Yeah. And I really just want him on one of these monthlies. He might be Marvel's best uh, active artist. I, I I, think there's certainly a case to be made there, if not the definitive one. Because, like, I I was not familiar with his work before this this era. And, like, I'm such a fan now. Yeah. Like wasn't every he, time it blows me away. Wasn't he one of the young guns yes. a couple of years ago, even though he had a book for five years or something that before whole that? initiative is so funny and silly at this point. Yeah. But yes, you're right. Um any other thoughts about this book? Can't wait for stuff to happen. Yeah. I mean we're already over halfway done with uh the actual event and we have not seen a sword used, and that is a goddamn sword. <laughs> it's just wild. It's wild. Um, you know, you know what it was weirdly giving me vibes of was uh, specifically this issue. It reminded me a lot of like the the amalgam era, where there was like the tournament between like the DC and Marvel characters in that one. I forget what the arc was, but like it was very much this kind of vibe. Where it was like the tournament of champions, and I was just like, "Oh man, I don't know that that's the illusion. I don't know that that's the book I you want me to be <laughs> thinking of." Yeah, I don't know. I'm thinking about Mortal Kombat. I'm thinking about all kinds of <laughs> Yu Yu Hakusho. I just be it'd be cool if there was some combat. 
Yeah, right. At some point, it'll have to happen, right? Right? Well, what is this, the 14th We're, issue? 13, yeah. <laughs> 13 uh, chapters in. Well, it's funny. I was counting it. Like, it has to start because there's going to be eight fights. So it's like we've, we're running out of issues. Pro I don't Dragon think Ball. that the tournament is going to happen like that. No? No. I don't think it's going to be um, like a fight per issue type of thing. I'm not even sure it's going to hold a traditional tournament structure at this point. But that's all... I don't even know if it's going to happen. Yeah, that's all for the future. Um, We will be back next week to talk about the next installments. We're getting three installments of this story next week. Marauders 15, Excalibur 14, Wolverine 7. Uh, The event will end this month. Uh, Ten of Swords Destruction number one drops on the 25th, and that's the last issue. So um, not too long to wait to see how this all wraps up. Um, Let us know your thoughts if you're listening to our reviews. What do you feel about the pace of this event? Do you think it's progressing well or um, is it not meeting your expectations? There are plenty of ways you guys can reach out and let us know your thoughts. Of course, you can get us on all podcast hosting platforms. However it is that you listen to us, please make sure that you guys are leaving us a review. They help us out so, so much. And if you're on YouTube, of course, that does include a subscribe. It's the equivalent. So um, please go do that. And if you listen to us in one way, consider going and and jumping over the other way and hitting us with a subscribe um, or a rating, wherever it is that you you don't consume us. It just really helps us out. Um, You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You can join our Discord server where we're always having conversations about the books that we review here or any other books that doesn't have to be what we talk about. You guys drive the narrative over there. So um, come join us. And, of course, listen to our book clubs. We've got Kingdom Come dropping uh, at the end of the month. And uh, we just dropped Swamp Thing and um, Sandman. Sandman. So really cool book clubs. Hopefully you guys enjoy some of the more spooky ones that we did. For the spookiest of seasons. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of cool book clubs coming your way. So stay tuned for all of that. Let's get into the plugs. Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here in another episode of The Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Let me know how you are celebrating uh, the inauguration of our new president, Mr. J. Garrett. Wow. Not yet. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we got well. some shenanigans to get through first. That's true. Uh, so if you want to get some more content from me, you can uh, check out the podcast, the weekly Nintendo podcast that I host over on lootpots.com, uh, or, uh, yeah, whatever. Just keep up with me on social media. I'm always doing something. That's a threat. All right. Kale. I am not doing anything. Cool. But Bye. you can find me on Instagram at Toto and Toe. Uh, you can find my work at killward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. And, uh, I don't know. I'm playing Bioshock. You know, whatever. All right, Marco. Great. You can find me at Marco. Oh, my God. At Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram <laughs> and Twitter. And I'm watching My Hero Academia. I'm like almost done with the third season. So come talk to me about that. And I've been reading all of Concrete. Although I think I'm going to switch to some more Adam Strange stuff. I've been in the mood for some like sci-fi Silver Age shit. Did I tell you I just picked up the director's cut? Oh, really? Of issue one? Yeah, I haven't read it yet, but I did get oh, okay. it. I'm interested to see what King's got cooking in in on his end. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can you smell it? Yeah, it's it for me. Phil? 
you know, I was thinking all this time, how would Canadian Wolverine handle that dinner party? I bet he would have stabbed Saturnine because they didn't serve enough poutine, which is a Canadian dish. Yeah, no, one, no one serves no at the table. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you like dumb jokes like that, you can hit, us, hit me up on Cyborg Bebop on Twitter and Instagram, where uh, I'll field all questions about Canadian Wolverine and how he'll respond to things. Like this election? I bet he's not even aware of it. It's Canadian. Yeah, he's in the woods somewhere. As for me, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. I will not be talking about the election, of course, um, but you can hit me up to talk about whatever it is that you're listening to or watching or playing. I feel like there's so much good stuff happening again in terms of media and entertainment. We got The Mandalorian, which has been really good. I'm still reading House and Powers. I'm playing Bioshock. Um, I'm hating my life because i chose to play the force awakens or the force unleashed um so lots of stuff going on from that perspective and we will see you guys next time thank you so much for joining us we are the comics pals signing off take care guys bye all right marco we're throwing off the ship (laughs) everyone vote orange nope don't vote orange you were the imposter not again (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha